Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, partygoers, and welcome to another episode of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. Mary, welcome to, as you all know, Stu Stu Studio, the recording home of the fabulous Listening Party show. It's been a while since we were here, actually, dear, because we inadvertently created two episodes when we went to make one episode a month ago, I guess it was, that we recorded that. (laughs) I guess that's true. And... And now we are, uh, we're back again. So it's been a while. Yeah, we pretty much just skipped December. December? I mean, November. November. <laughs> yes. We pretty much skipped. It does feel November. like we skipped November, to it be does, honest. It does feel like we skipped November, too. Uh, I was, speaking of December, I was kind of hoping that we would do another Christmas uh, Carol episode uh-huh. yes. thingy, but I don't know if we will be able to because of COVID and not visiting people or having people visit us. Oh, so. yeah. That's uh, too bad. Well, I can put together some Christmas songs. You can put together some Christmas they songs? They will all be Sofiane Stevens, though. <laughs> well, let's not do that, then. That <laughs> sounds less than satisfactory to me. I mean, I like Sofiane Stevens' uh-huh. Christmas songs, but yes. I, li- I, like an, I like a mix. Right. Okay, how about songs. if they're all a mix of Sofiane Stevens' Christmas songs and also um, Christmas songs from the two uh, Phineas and Ferb Christmas specials? Still sounds kind of limited. Sounds mm. very focused- very focused. Uh, well, I got two thing. things there. You do have two that's things. Pretty that's pretty good. That's pretty. That's two. I don't know if two things makes an eclectic mix. Eclectic, mm. No one says an eclectic mix of two. I don't know. I think mixing Phineas and Ferb soundtrack and Sophie and Stevens together <laughs> on a playlist is pretty eclectic. It is pretty eclectic. <laughs> but I, I still feel like someone's going it's like. It's not very varied. I love all kinds of ice cream. I like vanilla and chocolate. Uh-huh. And you go, well, it's two. It's not really all kinds of yeah, chocolate. Right. It's really not. Yeah. Really All kinds of ice cream. There. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, you're you're right. You're right there. <laughs> so, mm. but anyway, we'll see what we can do. We'll, we'll I'll, I'll try to try to make it work in our in our favor. Right. We'll figure something out. In our favor means someone else does all the work for a couple weeks. Yeah, that'd be nice. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we're back, Mary. We're back mm-hmm. with another a new mixtape. Yep. Uh, we left off last time. We finished um, someone else's Jamie. Fong? Jamie Fong, that's right. Thank you. Jamie Fong's mixtape. And that was I thought well it was it was very popular. Let's say I got very little I got very little pushback on that one. Yeah, it was a good mix. Which, which I liked. It was good for my ego. That mm. one mixtape. All the other mixtapes has been me feeling beaten down. Right. As if someone was piling like piles of garbage on top of me. That's what I'm trying to do. While I was trying to climb out of a tunnel. Yeah, that's or a the, hole in the ground. That's definitely the feeling I'm going for. With... Going going up a ladder while someone's like throwing things down on you. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Those all describe <laughs> exactly what I'm going for, mood wise. <laughs> But that one was just like so nice. It was like I was laying in a bed and people were like throwing garbage on you. No, <laughs> not throwing garbage on me. <laughs> oh, not for this garbage metaphor. Like recycling, clean recycling, clean like paper. That's right. Yeah, they'd use the paper to print on, but now they're just like gently throwing it down on. Yeah, me, or like old newspaper. Yeah, not old newspaper, Mary. Let's not get carried away. What? Why? I'm thinking like pieces of paper, like white printer paper. Yeah, like pure and white. That seems like a waste of paper. No, it's perfectly fine. It's already been used. It's already been printed on. They oh. just they they don't need it anymore, so now they're just gently. Well, what's the difference between that and newspaper? It's exactly the same. Well, the newspaper has various uses, though. Like I don't know if it's been used to line a birdcage. Well, if it wrap, had, wrap fish and chips. If it had, it wouldn't belong in the paper recycling. Well, I don't know. It w- it wouldn't. 
You belong never, in the paper recycling. You never know where people put their recycling. I guess that's true. There you go. Uh, Mayor. Yes. Actually, I was thinking, this is what I was thinking about this today, because I remember a while ago you were, you were, um, doing your Disney animated movie Chronological watch. watch. Chronological yes. watch. Yep. Did you ever finish that? No. Oh, you gave up. I got stuck. Where'd you get stuck? Um, the Rescuers. Didn't like it? No. I watched it. I paid no attention to it. <laughs> I said, I have to watch this again. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> And it's just, it was one of those places where I like looked ahead yeah. and I thought, these next couple movies don't look great. So Black Cauldron, Rescue's Down Under, Black Cauldron. Black Cauldron. Fox and the Hound. Fox and the Hound, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a kind of a, a dismal part of, but you know yeah. what, you know what I watched? It's a low point. You know what I watched last night what? and I consider a, a low point? I don't, it's actually, I don't think it's the Rescuers Down Under, it's the original The Rescuers. No, no, but then The Rescuers Down Under comes after that, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. you're saying the next few movies. Yep. But I was watching a film. I think it's older than that. And mm-hmm. it was it was awful. What was it? It was an awful movie. It was The Sword in the Stone. Oh, yeah. That one's terrible, huh? Yeah. It's an awful it's movie. It's so bad. Like, I don't even know what they were going There's, like, for. no plot to it. There's nothing. It's so weird. It's, like, the weirdest movie. I know. It's just, like, <laughs> like yeah. It, it, I was, like, so bewildered <laughs> watching it. And I remember looking it up and I was, like, this? This yeah. is seen as a good movie. Is it? Yeah. Like, there are positrible reviews for it. Oh, it's so weird because the music is awful. Yes. Like, there's not one good song in no, the entire movie. No, not at all. And they're all like, and it's all like this kind of like, it's just like, like they've done that in other movies. They're like, oh, I guess this worked in two other films. Let's yeah. keep up with it. And then, and yeah, and then it's got like, oh, it's hard to even describe it. Like, it's based on a classic novel, The Sword in the Stone, I think by E.F. Nesbitt or some kind of name like that. Right. I think that's who it's by. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but so it's based on a novel. And I assume this novel has like, like like, a plot, like a plot, a through line, an arcing story of of character development and change. Whereas this movie is this about a character named Wart, yes, aka Arthur, uh huh, who is like sometime page for for oh T H White, T H White. I'm sorry, T H White. Quite a famous historical novel, historical fiction novelist. Oh really? Yeah. And so I believe he was a friend of um, Evelyn Waugh's actually. Okay. If I'm thinking of the right person, well, I encouraged him to go into writing historical fiction, right. actually. Can I just, sorry, can I quickly interject to let you know? Yeah. So it was The Rescuers, mm-hmm. which I was not a fan of. Yeah. The Fox and the Hound, yep. which I don't remember liking very much. I've never seen it. The Black Cauldron, which I've never seen. Never seen that either. Uh, the Great Mouse Detective, which I like. It's very good. Oliver and Company, not a fan. Don't remember that one. And then The Little Mermaid. So that's, it gets up there. That's where things started to get better But again. then it goes back to Rescuers Down Under. Not great. But uh, then we get into Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, yeah, Notre, yeah. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, then you get into good... But it's a bit of a slog. There's like four <laughs> or five not very good movies there. Well, what's funny is is that it was uh, was uh, Katzenberg arrived during the making of The Black Cauldron. So that was... And he a- was like, this is terrible. He was like, this is terrible. Yeah. He said, what kid is going to like this movie? Well, yeah, because then they had The Jungle Book and mm-hmm. then The Aristocats, which yeah. are both fantastic movies. Yeah. Um, I don't think Robin Hood is great, personally. No, it's a bit of a recycling of... Yeah, but least. those two movies are so good. And what, then... What, Aristocats and Jungle Book? Yeah. And what came after, like, Sword in the Stone and then The Jungle Book and then? Uh, Sword in the Stone... Um, sorry, Sword in the Stone, Jungle Book, Aristocats, then Robin Hood, wow. then The Many yeah. Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which was just a recycling of three Winnie the Pooh stories that had been made previously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you go into that slump. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, it was interesting because like Wolfgang Rother- Rotherman? Ritherman. Ritherman. He, 
he was the director, and I think he's one of like the one of those kind of like the the grand old men or whatever. There's like kind of like seven or eight animators who were kind of like with the studio for a really long time and were considered like kind of like the whole like the engine of the studio. But I noticed that there were two Rythermans credited for voice voice parts, voice acting. Okay. I was like, oh, oh this doesn't spell good. People, if the the director, if, the, if their dad is doing the movie and the kids are like being, because actually another part of the problem with this film is that the the voices are terrible. Yeah. Like the voice yes. acting is awful. Yeah. They're all doing like the worst British impersonations mm-hmm. in the world. Like, why not just hire British people? Yeah. You're doing a British movie. Hire British actors. Don't expect American actors who can like are we going to be able to do right acceptable or, yeah or just if you want if you don't want to hire British actors just let them do an American accent or just do an American accent because it just becomes who cares yeah because if you if you have everyone doing it yeah no one's gonna mind sure right no one's gonna stand up and say these guys don't sound like characters from Chaucer yeah or even even older than that well yeah it's like of course they <laughs> yeah right because that's the other thing is having them speaking contemporary british is already inaccurate <laughs> it doesn't mean because they would have been sp- yeah. speaking in like a, a, an exactly. old english which is a completely different language that is exactly. completely like yeah that's it's illegible to us now not know if you don't if you don't study old like old english yeah. so yeah yeah like might as well have them speak in american english and just be like whatever <laughs> it's like i always find it funny when um like period movies that are based not in England have hire like British people to speaking British accents because it's like British is old. <laughs> but if if you if old movie you have to have British British accent, yeah, like yeah. no, you don't. <laughs> well, no, you don't unless they're playing Nazis, in which case you do need to have a British accent because that always indicates that the character is a Nazi. Right. You know that you're like, which oh, makes sense. It's a British actor because Britain was famously on the same side as <laughs> the Nazis. Famously fought. Against and on behalf of the Nazis at the same time. Yes. There are so many British people fighting with the Nazis and mm-hmm. against them. So, yeah, it was, uh, I was surprised how bad it was. Like, I, I'd never seen it before. Oh, really? And I just thought, oh, that sounds kind of fun. And actually, as I was going to select it, I noticed they also had the Black Cauldron. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I've never seen the Black Cauldron either. And that's what I'm curious to see because I've heard it's not very good. Okay, yeah. And then I watched... I watched Sword in the Stone. And Dis- you were disappointed. Oh, man, I was disappointed. Yeah. Like, what a non... What a flat pancake yeah, of a movie. Yeah, totally. Like, ugh, like a movie should have an arc. It that, should. That movie has a bowl. Yeah. Like, it didn't even have any good character development, really. Like, <laughs> had nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing you liked. It didn't even have, like, an interesting villain, really. Like, Mim was, like, fine, but, like. She's only think, in it for five minutes. Yeah. And, like, when you think about other D- Disney villains yeah. and how, like, charismatic Disney's villains often are, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, she's just, yeah, not. Well, yeah. That, that movie feels like they knew they couldn't work entirely with the plot of Sword in the Stone. Right. Like they thought, okay, people aren't going to understand all this Arthurian nonsense. So we're going to, all we're going to have is the sword and the stone, which they they call a sword and the stone. It's it's actually an anvil in the movie. So I thought that was sort of funny. Why are they calling it a sword and the stone? They even say in the movie, it's in an anvil. Yeah. But anyway, so a sword and the stone in an anvil. And so that's the one part they have in the film. It's if, as if they, it's all, they understand like... Americans will know this. Yeah. They'll know about the sword and the stone. Mm-hmm. So we'll get rid of every other conceivable part of this of this story. And we'll just concentrate on Wart meeting Merlin. Because mm-hmm. people know Merlin, too. Merlin training Wart. Yep. To a degree. Yes. The training consists of him turning into animals. Yes. And then... Uh, bad songs happen. And then bad songs. And then, <laughs> quote unquote, in quotation marks, air quotes, funny scenes happen. Yes. I.e., bizarrely... <laughs> 
teasing a squ- <laughs> lady squirrel t- into loving you and then leaving her behind to, yeah. c- to cry. And she never comes again. You get to see her crying yeah. from a tree branch to, to, to Wart. And because she fell in love with him as a squirrel. And then he turns but, back and into also a he's a little kid. Yeah. So you're kind of like, what? mm, what's going on here? How old is this other squirrel? Yeah. It's, it's robbing the tree hollow. <laughs> you're like, what a cougar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's okay. Hmm. The other thing is, in that scene, it's kind of funny. It's okay that this late, this lady squirrel is chasing Ward around. But then as soon as the lady squirrel starts chasing Merlin around, well, all bets are off. Forget about this whole thing. I'm turning back into a human. <laughs> it's, this is so weird. Like, yeah. And then, like, you, so there's a couple of sequences of that. Him as a bird, him yep. as a fish, and yep. him as a squirrel. Yeah. Those are the quote-unquote training sequences. Yes, nothing very interesting happens. Nothing at all interesting. No character development. Just tormenting a lady squirrel. Getting it, uh, then the, the hawk sequence, which leads to him meeting Ma- Madame Mim for five whole minutes. Right. So they can, so Mim and, and, uh, Ar- and Merlin can have their animal fight hmm. where they keep changing into different animals. Yep. And then, um, and what's kind of amusing is that <laughs> Merlin shrinks down to a germ and gives Madame Mim as it, she turns into a dragon, which is cheating. Yeah. She just turns into a dragon. Right. And then, so then Merlin. Turns into a germ. Yes. And infects her with the disease, which uh-huh. we don't know what the disease is. No. It, we just Probably smallpox. It's apparently <laughs> it's apparently bad for dragons and causes their belly to develop a, a spotty rash. Yeah. But then he leaves her. Yeah. To return to himself. Wouldn't then the disease just be cured because the germ is now gone? Uh, yeah, probably. But she's, it doesn't. No. So anyway, it's dumb. Well, yeah. It's, so it's, it's medically wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Osmosis Jones, it's not, says dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then um and then the uh what was the other thing that was uh oh yeah and then there's just like the mysterious sequence of of him <sighs> oh boy anyway of him going to london uh-huh with with as a page right because the other page conveniently got uh, the mumps right and so then he probably goes probably place. another germ warfare my merlin and then i don't know it's it, the whole thing is more like a, a sitcom than it is like a movie. Yeah. It's like a sitcom episode. Right. Because like nothing really changes by the end. No. Well, he becomes it, king, but it's just like pointless. Yeah. And there's like no, no, no. No character growth. It's nothing me- meaningful for it. I mean, he, okay, he pulled a sword out of a stone, but what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. And like he, it, it didn't feel deserved. No. Like it didn't feel like the actions that happened in the movie made it so that he was ready for that that role yeah, yeah like how come i like i was a fish for 45 seconds so now i know how to be king <laughs> yeah, what? Right. well he knows how to be attractive to lady squirrels <laughs> certainly expand once the squirrels are on your side ex- you own the kingdom <laughs> expand the empire yeah it's just a weird yeah weird, and weirdly disappointing film yeah. i don't know it's strange i bill pete worked on it as well he did the character design for it well, i thought the characters looked good yeah i thought i like i really liked how it looked but yeah. uh, and it had a little bit of that '50s style, mm. or maybe early '60s kind of. The '63. Uh, yeah, the yeah UPA style where the everything kind of got sim- more simplified in terms of like backgrounds and things. Right. When the kind of more squiggly, scrawly kind of drawings, not 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 as painterly as like like Snow White and Pinocchio yeah. and things. And then also, I guess I guess Black, I guess Sleeping Beauty has a bit of that to it as well. That more design element. There, yeah. Than I realism. mean, I think that like Aristocats and. 
101 um, Dalmatians. 101 Dalmatians. Have that, have that just in a different way, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not like a fairy tale. It's, like, stylized in, like, a very specific time sure, and sure. space, right? Yeah, Where, yeah. like, Aristocats is, like, a French Rococo style. And that's, like, all the the backgrounds, right? Now, do you know, is Aristocrats an original story or is it based on a... Aristocats, sorry. Is it um, based on a... I believe it's based on a book. I think most okay. of their... I'm pretty sure, like, pretty much all of their movies yeah. are based on something. Yeah. I mean, I guess it worked with Snow White. Why, why, break, the, why break the mold? Yeah, right? Hmm. Anyway, it was sort of interesting. I, I, I'm not a... I'm not really like a Disney head, as it were. Like yeah. I, I like, like their stuff well enough, but... Based on a book called The Aristocats. Oh, there you go. Or as Mary called it growing up, the Arist of the Cats. The rest the rest of the cats. <laughs> and you know what's funny? Yes. Wolfgang Reitherman yeah. directed Sword of the Stone, yeah. The Jungle Book, The Aristocats, and Robin Hood. Hmm. So he started with a flop, <laughs> made two good movies, and then ended with a flop, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, Jungle Book was just a, a, a money-saving thing. And maybe Sword of the Stone was as well. It's hard to know, like, like when people think about Disney, they 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 assume like this ginormous corporation that had tons of money, yeah, at its disposal. But they don't Dis- think about the company that was like on the verge of bankrupt bankruptcy multiple times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's true because their their creator, you know, uh, chief executive officer, whatever his position was, is founder of the company. Well, yeah. Disney was just such a gambler, such a risk taker. Yeah, you know? he just like bet the whole everything in the company on like, let's do an amusement park that's, that's like a huge it is better than any other amusement park you've ever seen yeah and then we'll just bet the whole farm on that and if that <laughs> flops then we're doomed you yeah know. meanwhile we'll limp along as a as a movie company for a number of years doing kind of cheapo productions mm-hmm. because we can't afford to throw too much money into anything yeah yeah and you know i don't know it's they probably were a they had the animation, but they're all also doing feature films at that by that point. So they're right, putting a lot of money into to the live action films. So, so they made a lot leagues. of really good live action movies in the sixties. They didn't. <laughs> I was shaking my head. They didn't make very many. Um, Pollyanna. I've mm-hmm. never seen it. Me neither. Doesn't look good. But Mary Poppins. Oh, that's true. Mary Poppins. Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I think is quite good. Like I've never seen it as an adult, but speaking of, of it as a child, I thought it was right. quite good. But you thought that about um, the computer wore tennis shoes as well. Yeah, that's true. And then rewatched it as an adult. Yeah, but it doesn't mean I wouldn't have enjoyed it as a kid. No, I know. Just I'm not as, saying that. This is an adult. I'm just saying. Kind of, kind of didn't make any sense to me, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not. Anyway, enough about Disney, Mary. Okay. Let's get on to what we're really about, hmm. which is music, music, music. So, if you wouldn't mind putting another nickel in, put another nickel in. A nickel. In, in the Nickelodeon, yeah. In All I want to hear is music, music, music. Oh, I don't have a nickel. I didn't oh. bring one. <laughs> didn't bring a nickel. No. I guess it's a short show this week, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, let's get go to our first song then. Okay. What is it? Our first song. Wait, wait, wait. Hold wait, on. Sorry. What? Who's huh? this mixtape for? Did we say? Oh, I'm sorry. This uh, mixtape was for Nathan Evans. Okay. And let me say, before we get going too much farther, that Nathan and I talked about this mixtape and he let me know that he liked two songs on it. And I thought, what a flopperoo. Hmm. But oh well. Will we will we get to hear which two songs he liked? <laughs> we will. I don't I don't remember which two songs oh. they were. I remember one, but not both of them. Did he email you about it or no? No, it was a con- it was a conversation. Oh, okay. So um let's let's uh, start with uh this is this band is called Fort Juniper. Okay. Fort Juniper, which a name I love. And the song is called What's the Point If No One's Having Fun? 
Oh, sorry. What's the point? Bracket. Mm -hmm. If no one's having fun. End bracket. Thank you. From their 2011 album, Fort Juniper. Here we go, everyone. You know that I like to ask you what you thought of uh, the songs. Yeah. That's kind of like the what the most important part of the show for me. Oh. I don't care what Nathan Evans thinks about my mixtape. Fooey on Nathan Evans. I care about what Mary Dedrick, my daughter, thinks about my mixtapes. Mary, what do you think of Fort Juniper? Um, I thought it was cute. Cute. Yeah. It, it's, I, I thought it was fun. Okay. Um, it was very soft. Very yeah. soft song. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't my favorite, but I thought it was nice. Okay. So I, I gave it a CFS. Cute, fun, soft. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's, that's the letter grade it got was CFS. And I would agree with all those things. I think Which is just, a pretty standard letter grade. It's a pretty standard letter grade you'll find you get in school all the time. For being if you're cute, a kitten. If you're a kitten. 
<laughs> well, that's the grade I like best. That's that. You know what? That's actually the grade that they give out a lot when they do um, puppy school. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. So uh, we've actually heard Fort Juniper before, Mary, oh, really? in the form of their other alter ego, which is Hercules. And they were Hercules. they were the mm. pr- they produced Lullaby Baxter's album uh, Garden Cities of Tomorrow. Oh, okay. And so we played a song from that, and we talked a little bit about her being produced by Hercules, and the fact that she they sent her a tape with with some with some demos of how they wanted the songs to be on it, pretty much in the same style as this. This is kind of their their thing, and she was she like fired them <laughs> oh she hired them then she went nope don't want it oh that's not totally not my vision and then a couple days later she listened to it again and she went oh no they're right and she phoned them back and oh, said oh that's good it's back on and so yeah so so fort juniper slash hercules but isn't sorry are the song that we listened to by lullaby, lullaby baxter is from capable egg wasn't it we have listened to one we listened to um dingling yes but we also listened to one i think it was called i can't remember what it's called now but it was. Um, Did we listen to it uh, recently-ish? Okay. Ish. I don't, I don't remember. That's okay. That's apparently I don't either. I could go over there to the ginormous pile of papers. Nah. To make up our, my pile of notes that I keep putting no, in a pile. No, it seems like not a very good way to store notes, and also like it would take a long time to find it. <laughs> so let's move on to whatever you're gonna say next. So I was gonna say that they Fort Juniper slash Hercules yes. is yep. an Englishman named Ben Sumner. Okay. And a new Englishman, a guy from New England, whose name is oh. Peter Baldwin. Okay. And Weird way to describe someone. That was their description. I stole it. Was it? Yep. Oh, okay. That's fine. So they work as a self-contained unit, mm-hmm. uh, like a self-contained production team. Right. They write the songs. They yep. produce the music. They arrange cool. and play on the songs cool. themselves. I like that. And then they'll often bring in someone to sing for them. So they're not very comfortable with the singing part of it. So... So that's kind of what happened with Lullaby Baxter's Garden Cities Tomorrow. They took her songs, they played on them, they arranged them, and then they sent them back to her and she added her vocals to them. So this album was recorded, well, it was written between 1996 and 1999. They just did like, uh, you know, around 100 demos of different songs. Oh, okay. Wow. And then they took those songs and they recorded the ones they liked best from about 1999 into 2000. And then they finally finished and mixed it in 2011, and hmm. then they released it then. So it was, it was that's a, a long time to work on a project. It's a long time to work. They did other things in between. Yeah, but it was just something that they weren't like super serious about. I guess they just right. They started it and they weren't very happy with it. And they although came I guess back to often when people like write a book, mm-hmm. it'll take them like a long time. Sure. Right. You start out with the drafting, and then yeah. you you know, and then I imagine too when you're doing other stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. When this is when it's not your main gig, it can take a while to get it done. Yeah. Just because you don't have the you don't have the time to concentrate on it in that time. sort of yeah. singular way you need right. to, do, to finish something. Well, yeah, if you're working like a nine to five and also doing this on top of it, or even like just producing other people and doing other kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then you also have this like side thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you described it as soft because I do th- I do agree with you. Like it's very, it's all it's kind of like it has sort of a Beach Boys vibe to it. Yeah, I can see that. Not in the singing style, but in the bat in the kind of because what I like about the Beach Boys at their best to me is when there's a very simple sound to it, even yeah. but complicated, you know? Right. So it has, you know, so with these guys, you know, like the bass is very melodic. So that's basically driving the song. And then they're just sort of using like sort of instruments to kind of color in the rest of it. And I find that very appealing how they do it. And the other thing I like about this group is they have a sense of musical sense of humor. Okay. So they'll have a bit of fun. So for instance, one of their slyer musical jokes on both on, this album, Fort Juniper, and on Hercules, the Hercules album, which is called In the Alleyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both have these really long songs on them that both reference 
Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. Okay. So on Fort Juniper, they have a they have a song called 840th Time Around. Okay. Which is a bit of a play on the Bob Dylan song Fourth Time Around. Right. And then on In the Alleyway, the Hercules album, uh, they have a song called Temporary Like Temporary Like Hercules. Okay. Which is a reference to Bob Dylan's Temporary Like Her- Like Achilles. Oh, okay. Which comes from Blonde on Blonde as hmm. well. So I just like those sort of little things that that Smarty Pants know Smarty Pants know it alls like me can right. can chuckle at. Yeah. <laughs> and then smoke my pipe. Right. Yeah. Yes. As you know. Yep. An inveterate pipe smoker. Yeah. Like not to bring up Phineas and Ferb for the millionth time, but like when there's like a Marx Brothers reference on Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. And you're like, oh, hey, that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Who else is going to get this? But I'm going to get it. Yeah. I'm going to get it. So uh, how about we go to our next song, Mary? Yes. So, Mary, this next band, do you know what this next band is? No. This is uh, Zampano. Oh, okay. And it's from 1996. This song is called Behind the Beehive. So let's give a little listen, everyone. This is some very melodic power pop for you, because you know, I love the power pop. Here we go.
All right, and we're back. Mm-hmm. Mary. Yes. I'm demanding. Okay. Right now. Yes. As firmly as possible. Yep. From your father. Yes. This demand is coming yep. to you. Okay. What do you think of a Zimpano? Um, I think you can put another CFS beside this one. Wait, it was cute. Cute, fun, and soft. Really? Was it soft? It was, I thought it was it pretty soft. Of, it had a lot of electric guitars in it. Mm, I thought it was pretty soft. I'm going to take that ass. I'm going to make it sassy. Mm, I thought it was pretty soft. Okay. I actually heard this song and I was like, is this, did dad accidentally just burn me a CD rather than a mix? Because these songs are similar. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Well, this is um, some Pano. Okay. This is a bit of CanCon. Yes. Because we like, we have to get a CanCon we in. We have to. Otherwise, we lose our funding. We lose our funding <laughs> from the government and the CRTC. Yep. And and also, they're not only a CanCon, they're a local Vancouver band. Ooh, VanCon. Yeah, it's a VanCon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so this group was formed... What episode is this? What episode what is this? Yeah, what if... This is episode 54. Okay, so it's taking me 54, 54 episodes <laughs> to make a VanCon joke. <laughs> Don't don't think of it like that, Mary. Don't think of it like that. I'm just saying. Now that I've said it, it seems like an obvious joke. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. Also, also, by uh-huh. the way, yes, yep. congratulations for two years of doing uh, a podcast. Oh yeah, nice this episode. Is not it's strictly speaking, we're in episode 55, which is going to make things very confusing for counting from now on. But because we did two episodes of 53, we did 53 part one and part two. Oh. So 53 part two counts as 54, literally. So that was actually two, two, two years of... But anyway, we're counting it this week because it's 54. It's but we still, didn't record then. I know we didn't, but it was our 54th episode. Hmm. But, but this, not really. <laughs> but not really. This is our true 54th episode. Yeah. Two years in. Nice. Congratulations. High Fist bumps oh. all around. Oh, I'm going to high five. Okay, yeah. high five. Woo. Nice. And um, yeah, so... So... Yes. Major person in this group, and I'm surprised you didn't recognize his voice. Is um, AC Newman. Carl Newman, that's right. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> or Alan Carl Newman, as yes. he should be known, but he likes the name Carl for some reason, so he chose Carl Newman as his, as his walking around name. Alan is probably more too many ends. He popular. Thought. He thought too many ends. Alan Newman, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, like you don't like David Dedrick. Really? Well, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that it's too hard for me to say with my mush mouth. David Dedrick. It's like how every time I have to spell, every time I spell my last name, yeah. I say D is in Delta, E, D is in Delta, R, I, C, K. Okay. Because otherwise people say D, E, B. No. <laughs> no. Not D. Delta Echo, Delta, Rondo, Ella, Turk, India. Nope. Romeo. Chia Pet. India. Koala Bear. <laughs> you know what? I like yours more. <laughs> Thanks. No, I don't. Charlie <laughs> Kilo. <laughs> uh, so they formed the group in 1992. I usually don't have to spell all of it. Oh, when you do, yeah, you just spell the, the two, native two letters. Yeah. It's, yeah, I most strangely, I mostly get um, from people. They just forget my my the R in my name. Dedic. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I've had that. That's a cla- That's Maybe a classic. That's a true classic. I get a lot of Diedrich. Well, yeah, that's just it. That's just that's like, <laughs> ugh. that's just like that's life. Yeah. There's nothing. I didn't even notice that anymore. What? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Anyway, sorry. I'm going to say it one more time, Mare. Huh? They formed this band in 1992. Yep. When the drummer, Jason Zampano, mm-hmm. and guitarist keyboardist, Michael Ledgewidge, mm-hmm. who were in a band called Glee. Based off of the TV show Glee? Not at all. Okay. But this may have been a reason. I don't know when Glee started, but they 2008. were- 2008. 
Oh, okay. 2007. This would have been nothing to do with their decision then. Because, so in 1992, they were on the verge of signing with a record, with a major record label. Uh huh. And then they decided to break up the band because right. they felt that it was artistically impure. So they broke okay. up Glee. And then they recruited Carl Newman, who uh, was a fellow member of Superconductor with, with Michael, uh, Michael Ledgewidge. Okay. And another Vancouver based, which Superconductor was another Vancouver based band, which was kind of an interesting band. I never got to see them at the time because this is 93, 94 when I was going through a lot of issues in my life. And then you were coming as well. So that was, yep. that made some, for some fun. And so, uh, but they were, they, they consisted of six guitar players, mm-hmm. two bass players okay. and a drummer. Right. That's how they attacked the stage. They had a guitar army. That's, yeah, it's a lot of people. Yeah. They were like a precursor to that band with all the people in it. The polyphonic spree. Is yeah, the polyphonic yes. spree. But they had like a lot of instruments, not a lot of one instrument. Right. I guess that's they true. They don't have like six people playing guitar. <laughs> they had a spread of different Yeah, I guess they had like a person playing guitar and then a person playing like the lute. Yeah. Or whatever. That's right. And they had, then, like, someone the guitar, the, on the cymbal. They had the guitar. I mean, someone on the triangle. The lute. Yep. The banjo. Uh-huh. The ukulele. Yep. The mandolin. Yep. Can you think of a sixth? String. Six string one. Uh-huh. The zither. Oh, yeah. There the you go. The auto harp. Yep. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh... What about a bass? What about, the like, a standing bass? Zuki, is that what it's called? The... Oh. Did I say the sitar? Nope. Sitar. Uh, the, like, bass. That's totally different. You just wrecked my joke, man. Totally wrecked it. Isn't it another string instrument? It's not the same? (laughs) Aren't all strings? It's a four-string instrument. Actually, there's a million strings. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just joking. You didn't wreck wreck anything. I know. So the band initially called itself the Wayward Boys. Okay. Before they decided... Because they would just collect lost boys and give them a guitar. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And so... But then they decided that the name Zimpano was a cool name and it would be cooler to have their name as Zimpano. Right. So they changed the name to Zimpano. And so... Like, so this is the mid-90s. So during the mid-90s, Sub Pop, as you know, a Seattle-based label. Yes. Flush with grunge money. Right. Didn't want to be a grunge label anymore. Oh, really? They said, we don't want to be a grunge label anymore. We're going to go around and we're going to sign bands and artists that aren't grunge. So they... Signed Sloan. Signed. They didn't sign Sloan. But they did sign Eric Strip, hmm. a fellow Halifax band. Oh, okay. They signed Jail. Yep. Another fellow Halifax band. Right. They signed the Hardship Post. Mm. Another fellow Halifax band uh, by way of St. John's, Newfoundland. That's right. where they actually came from. Oh, okay. But they moved to Halifax because that's where the scene was happening. Mm. And then they also turned their eye westward. Right. Towards Vancouver. Towards Vancouver. And they signed Zimpano. Oh, okay. Cool. Unfortunately, well, I should, we'll say that Zimpano released two albums for Sub Pop. One was called Look What the Rookie Did. The other one was called Going Through Changes. Mm-hmm. And this is the album. Going Through Changes is where Behind the Beehive comes from. Unfortunately for Sub Pop and for all the artists on the label, Sub Pop, like, totally, like, without meaning to, stumbled into into fame and fortune in in the grunge world. This is by happenstance. They didn't plan yeah. it. They didn't plan no, grunge. No, of course not. They didn't even... They, they signed Nirvana probably as a favor to Nirvana. You right. Know? Like, they, no one thought much of Nirvana at that time. They were kind of like the baby brothers of the scene. Right. You know, and then suddenly they're like the engine of, of this whole movement. Yeah. And everyone's and everyone's like into it. Seattle mm-hmm. comes this big deal. Right. People are phoning there looking for, you know, looking what's the whole grunge thing about. Mm-hmm. You've heard that classic story of someone phoning the sub pop label and this uh, young girl who worked there answering the phone. It was the New York Times. And they wanted to know um, grunge slang. So she just made up a bunch of words and told them that was grunge <laughs> slang. It was just a bunch of nonsense. But uh, so, so 
you know, they had this, they had all this grunge gold, but they didn't, they didn't earn it, you know? Right. So taking groups that weren't like going to just stumble into fame suddenly required them to like understand promotion, marketing, you know, how to time the album's releases in order to catch the the interest of critics and interest of audiences and to have a release schedule. How to produce things, maybe. How to produce things, how to follow a schedule, how to release things on time so people don't forget that you're going to release them. All the kind of key stuff that record labels should do, which they had trouble with. And so pretty much all the bands that that were with Sub Pop and stuff didn't do great. And so although Zampano never officially broke up, once Carl Newman started up new pornographers and they took off like a rocket, that was pretty much the end of Zampano. And as uh, for, for Jason Zampano, who the band was named after, yes, um, he taught him was he at near the end, tail end of the group he started teaching himself how to play piano, and he plays some great piano on two of my favorite Destroyer albums, Thief and Streetheart uh, Seduction. Oh, cool! So yeah, he does that great uh, kind of David Bowie esque. Kind of hunky dory style uh, guitar uh, piano cool. playing on it. Do you think he met Dan Behar through Carl Newman? Oh yeah, they're all friends. Yeah. And then there was a, a small newspaper here in town, like a local newspaper, that a bunch of people like uh, Rob Dayton, Carl, Dan Behar, and some other people started called the Drippy Gazette. Okay. Which was kind of like a, sla- a comic slash um, humor slash political paper. Sure. That started here in Vancouver that published for a while, and they all worked together on that as well as. Uh, you know, there's Blaine Thurier, who was in the, the new pornographers as well, who was yep. a indie com- in, indie comic artist here okay. in Vancouver. That's how he knew me. That's how I knew him was through the indie comic scene. And he also worked for Drippy Gazette, and then uh, and then Carl and and of course Rob Dayton starred in his his uh, low low budget movie Low Self Esteem Girl that Blaine Thurier made before he did um, Male Fantasy. Anyhow, I was gonna. I'm gonna play a song by by Superconductor just so people can hear them. This is to con- increase our CanCon, or as Mary has wittily entitled it, VanCon. Thank you. And uh, this is a song called "There Goes Helen" from their 1993 album "Hit Songs for Girls." So this is Superconductor with their four to six guitar players playing away at the same time with two bassists and a drummer and some uh, singing. And you can hear in this song that this is a bit more more connected to like the grunge thing although vancouver didn't really have a grunge scene so you can't call it grunge but it's more connected to like the hard rock and music that people were digging at that time here on the west coast so um let's give it a listen
right, Mary, we're back. That was uh, some testosterone-laden rock and roll there for you, Mary. Crazy the things you like when you're 27 years old. That was uh, th- that was a band that you could find you could find their CDs anywhere you went in Vancouver. Oh yeah, there'd be like five of them <laughs> in the wall <laughs> everywhere you went. Just like in used places, I mean, cause right? Pe- people would buy them at shows or whatever, and then they'd be like, eh, get rid of this. So yeah, that's a lot of guitar. I like it though. Makes me kind of anxious. Makes you kind of anxious? Yeah, a little bit. Just, <laughs> just a lot going on, you know? I guess. I, I kind of like it. I like the, all the layers and That's fine. everything they're doing. I do think it's kind of funny. There's that section of the song where it's just like scraping guitars and stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, so they had six guitar players and no one could play a solo. <laughs> <laughs> well, because if one guy got a solo, oh, all of a that... sudden you got six guitar solos. <laughs> That's right. Oh my God. Imagine all the ego fighting. Ugh. Yeah, that'd be terrible. All right, let's move on to song number three. Song number three, Mary. This is this band. Yep. Is Supergrass. Okay. The British band Supergrass. Do you know what a Supergrass is, Mary? Is it weed? No, it's not weed. Is it grass that grows really fast? It has nothing to do with with, uh, any kind of like plant. Oh, Supergrass. Is it? If you don't know what it is, I I, I don't think I'd be able to guess it. No, I don't know what it is. It's an informant. Oh, yeah. weird. You, you weren't going to go there, were you? Nope, sure wasn't. <laughs> no, that's what I thought. I thought to myself, why am I making her try and guess? That's ridiculous, uh, Supergrass. St- an informant is called a stool pigeon. That makes way more sense. <laughs> what? <Well>, yeah. <laughs> so what? This song, what? What's that? You were <laughs> I was going to say, well, the informant could be sitting on a stool. <laughs> and they could be a pigeon. Wait a second. No. Lost the plot. I think, well, but I think pigeon can mean like a, like a dupe. Right, so you're a dupe of the police, hmm. right? Hmm. I mean, I think pigeon is an appropriate term because pigeons have made themselves very, or have uh, made themselves known yeah. to be very good at adapting. Okay, yeah. They have adapted to living in cities very well. Yeah. You know, they survived for millions of years without cities. I wonder if grass comes from like snake in the grass. Maybe. And like super grass, is this kind of like a, like a kind of a variant on that? That's sort of like a. You know, but it's still slang, so people don't know what you're talking about. Right. Which is the idea of, of slang. So yes. this song is called She's So Loose, and it is from, zip, it is from 1995. It's cold in here. Is it? Yes. Could it be because it has no insulation above us? Probably. <laughs> this, this is, uh, let's get back on track, Mary. This is uh, She's So Loose from mm-hmm. 1995. Actually, we've got a song from 1993 and a song from 1995. Yeah. We are Kind of circling the old 90s here, aren't we? We are. But anyway, this is uh, Supergrass, everyone. Let's listen. This song is exciting.
Okay, and we're back. And Mary, thoughts, feelings, thinkings about Supergrass. I thought it was fun. Okay. But I didn't love it. Didn't love it. I thought it was pretty, like, I thought it was fine. It was, you know, enjoyable. Just didn't, not my favorite. Oh, okay. Well, I really like the song. I mean, this wasn't a single from the album. This was, this is an album cut. But I, I was, I always love when there's, like, an album cut on an album that's, I feel, has sort of been neglected. Like, no one, like, how come right. this song wasn't used? It's really good. Like, it has a great guitar figure mm-hmm, in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, and just that whole, like, strumming part, like, the whole right. strummed guitar. I really enjoy yeah. that. And I thought it was really quite, quite good. Feel that yeah, like an underrated track. Yeah, feel that yeah. way about Jacksonville from Sufjan Stevens' album "Come On and Feel the Illinois." Yeah, but then that was selected as a as like a sample song though, because that's where I first heard it. So well, obviously, would, it was sent out there as a. But it was wasn't it just selected by? Wasn't that like a someone picked their like songs does, that they liked on it Mojo? Doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that it off it was uncut, but it often can mean uncut. yeah. But often it, it's. The record labels will have favorite songs they'll want you to include on on them, right? With the thought that this will be like what will attract people to buy yeah. the record, you know. But like I don't know, I feel like people always talk about Chicago, mm. John Wayne Gacy Jr. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Jacksonville is one of my Jacksonville is like way better. My favorite my song, one of my favorite songs on it, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so the album this is from is called "I Should Coco," which, speaking of slang, is Cockney slang for "I should think so." Oh. Which I like. I should Coco. I should Coco. Hmm. And so it was released in 1995, which is basically the height of the British Britpop scene. Okay. It was like a roaring success in England. Right. Oasis, Blur, the whole Oasis mm-hmm. versus Blur yep. thing. Yep. Wonderwall. Wonderwall. Everyone, everyone loving Wonderwall. It's such a boring song, but everyone loves it. <laughs> You're my Wonderwall. No good. I guess it's just really good to play on guitar or something. No good. I remember hearing like hearing so much about Oasis and how yeah. great they were, and then actually hearing the music, and I was just like, "All right, <laughs> if you say so." If, I guess this is taking your country by storm. We have Mariah Carey. We're not doing much better. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, Oasis versus Blur. Uh, what else was popular at that time? Pulp. Pulp was popular. What I don't know. Ninety-five. I don't know if Suede was like a big part of the Britpop scene. Obviously, Supergrass. Um, menswear. Hmm. Pulling out of the, mm. la- was Elastica part of that scene, or are they ahead of it? I don't know. I really don't know. That isn't Elastica's big album '97. That's '97. Is that when Elastica came out? I thought that that was like their big album. It was '97. Well, I don't know. I sure. could be wrong. Yeah, I'm just. They only did like one big album. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it came out '97. I could okay. be wrong. Okay, could be wrong. Probably am, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, yeah. So this, like I say, the album was a, and this album was a huge success. Good. You for know, kind of ran the, it kind of you know, sort of uh, surfed the Britpop wave. Right. And had a really successful single called All Right, mm-hmm. which we've all heard, whether we know it or not. Was it's, it All Right? It's, it's an All Right song. It's yeah. in a lot of commercials. Okay. And, uh, and I'm not going to sing it, but it's, it's a popular song. And it reached the top 20 in several countries. And, you know, it was used in the movie Clueless. Right. Is it that one that goes like, everything's all right, all right, no, all no, right. No, Everything's all right It's got right more of a... It's got that was like Everything's a all right by the Archies. Okay. Yeah. It's got a piano in it. Oh. And it's kind of like with the bass sort of driving it along. And mm. and it's like, oh, if you heard it, you know it right away. Probably. I could, I could like play it for no, you. No, that's fine. I'll believe you. And then Steven Spielberg wanted to like, well, at least his production company wanted to like, cast them in a, a monkey style show mm, they cool. said they said no to that oh why just thought it would pigeonhole them as like a novelty act rather than as a as a band and they wanted to be right. a band well maybe if they'd done that people would know who they were now people know who they are they were quite popular they put about five albums mm, yeah you say that but i've never heard of them 
You never heard of Supergrass? I don't think so. Okay, just one second, Mary. All right, we're back. I, I didn't I didn't want to play the song All Right, just because I'm sure everyone out there has heard it, even if they don't know it. Mary, you've heard it before, right? Yep. I played it for Mary, and she went, oh, this song. Mm, yeah, <laughs> after, essentially. After claiming she didn't know it. So, yes, they're, they're pretty well known. I didn't claim I didn't know it. They're pretty well known. I didn't claim say. I didn't know it. Uh, so, yeah, because I think Gaskum had been in a group called the Jennifers before he started before he started Supergrass. And so I think that he had, like, a, an idea of, you know, and they... They put it on an album, but they didn't succeed. You know what I mean? So I think that he had like a kind of a plan in his mind. And I think doing a TV show as a monkey style TV show wasn't really part of his plan into becoming like a successful musician. Right. You know, like, you know, you want to make a go of it, right? Uh, so, yeah. So after the breakup of the band, he formed Supergrass with some friends, a guy from work whose name was uh, Mickey Quinn and then a, a, another friend named Danny Goffey. And this album, like, they were playing around Oxford and they were spotted by this producer named Sam Williams. And so he became the producer of this album. But basically, they recorded like a six track demo and they released two singles from that demo session just as a way to like, get attention. One called Caught by the Fuzz and the other one called Man Size Rooster, both of which appear on Aisha Coco. And so this was released by like an indie label called Backbeat Records. And then that brought the band to the attention of EMI, who sent them to their subsidiary label, Parlophone, which was the Beatles label. And uh, they never looked back, Mare. I wonder what, I feel like there's not that much of a difference between um, doing a Monkees-esque TV show about your band yeah. and having your songs in ads. How do you mean, you don't think there's much difference? I mean, I just don't think there's much difference between those two concepts. Well, I think the one is you are, you become a TV, uh, TV band, right? Like people aren't going to take you seriously as a band anymore. Right. You're going to become plastic. But you already are kind of plastic if the reason that most people know about you is because... You had that song that was in all those ads. Well, that's in North America. It's different in Europe and in England, right? Mm, I guess that's like, true. They have a different different profile there. Right. And that's where they're based, and that's Yeah, where, I guess that's fair. You know, like, it's hard to... You can't really judge... Like, British bands... Like, unfortunately, at some point in the 70s, there was a divide between England and, and North America. And I think... Might have been disco. glam. Might have been disco. Might have been glam. Mm -hmm. Glam might have just not, not sold in North America because... You know, we got associated with homosexuality mm, and that yeah. this doesn't fly here, you yes. know. Too gay. Too gay. And so and so I think that was a major break in the British mm. American uh musical scenes. And so I think ever since then, British groups and this is not all British groups, but for the most yeah. part, most British groups, you know, except for super he men like George you know, uh George Michael from Culture Club. Right. Or um George Michael. Uh-huh. Did I say George Michael? Sorry, Boy George from Culture Club. Yeah. George Michael uh -huh. from Wham or from from his solo career, yeah. Elton you know, John. Elton John, he men like that obviously, yeah, are popular here in North America, right? But other acts, you know, that are a little bit more fey, let's call them, or I mean, more kind of, Elton it's hard John, to tell. George Michael, they're pretty. It's hard to tell. Like when you see someone like Supergrass or Oasis, you're like, you know, maybe they're gay, maybe they're not gay. Like right. you just don't know. It's hard yeah. to tell. Like there's a lot of like signaling going on there. You're yeah, but I mean, certain. for yeah, for a country that. Or, yeah, for a country who is yeah. largely populated of people who couldn't accept the birds because they used to have long hair. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I'm joking, of course, about it. But it's, fun. it's just kind of funny to me that group, some groups have had trouble breaking here because of, like, the whole idea of, like, Ponce Englishman and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And then it's, like, George, George Michael, Boy George. Like yeah, this, Elton John. Like, Elton John, they're, like, the superstars here. Yeah. Hilarious. But anyway. Um, well, oh, um, what's that band? Queen? Queen? Yes. That's yeah. Right. Queen is so huge right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is hilarious. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I think there has been like a, a big divide between the two countries musically. Like the Beatles made this big bridge 
And like right. everyone could cross that bridge into yeah. North America through the 60s. And there was a real sense of like people looking to England yeah. for what they, you know, for like inspiration Music. and what, what's going to happen mm-hmm. next. And then I think really at Glam, you know, David Bowie and T-Rex and stuff like that, who both of them had some hits here. But I think that they were really divisive as well. And I think that that kind of started the split between them. And so then you had like the, you know, you had this sort of break with the Eagles. And uh, <laughs> dad has a spittoon sitting beside him labeled the Eagles. <laughs> That's right. And groups like Fleetwood Mac and stuff like that, even though Fleetwood Mac was British, they became more like an American group, right. you know, in the seventies. And that, that music kind of created its own, like the whole kind of yacht rock idea, the M-O-R-E-O-R yeah. music sticks and REO Speedwagon and stuff like mm. that all were driving journey we're all driving music in a different direction right. than what was happening in England yeah and so and so if you in the 80s 90s if you liked British music you were seeking that music out you right. were like making an effort you're going to import sh- import stores yeah or it wasn't like the in the time of the Beatles when you could just find that in any any uh, I mean some of it was released domestically right but you still had to like be in the know to yeah. buy the Smiths or to buy Tears for Fears or whatever, mm-hmm. although Tears for Fears were a bit more popular. But you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it just things like that where you just, you kind of, you were in the know. Right. You were in the know and you're showing you're in the know. You're being mm-hmm. a snob, being a music snob. Yep. Okay. Something dad has never, never experienced. Being a music snob? Mm-hmm. I would say I'm a music snob. I know. That was my joke. The joke was that, of course you're a music snob. Oh, okay. I don't think that I'm an obnoxious music snob. No, I don't think I'm like a snobby about music. Do you think I'm snobby about music? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to answer that? Yeah. Yeah. You do think I'm snobby about yeah. music? In what way? Uh, I'd say I'm pretty open-minded. Mm, Unless it's the no, Eagles. not really. You're not very open-minded about music. I'm not? No. Hmm. Not about music that you think you won't like. If you think you won't like something, you don't really give it a chance. Like what? Like every time I've tried to play um, any sort of country-esque music for you, uh, even though you music. do like some country music. I still do like a little bit, but yeah. not a lot. No, but <laughs> instead of giving it a chance, you just like are like, nope, I'm not going to like it. I've listened to it. Hmm. Not really. <laughs> okay. You kind of resign yourself to not liking it. I don't know about that. Okay. I don't know about that. Okay. All right. Let's move on to your next song. Let's get away from this controversial <laughs> controversial topic of me being a music snob. <laughs> I don't think it's controversial. I feel very controversial about this, Mary. Okay. I feel like I've gone back to climbing up a ladder with someone throwing stuff down on me. Did we talk about that on the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. Never mind. <laughs> no, we didn't mention it? No, I thought that that was an off-mic conversation. No. It was on mic. Oh, okay, yeah. So This has been a hard episode for you, Dad. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so the next group is the Flash Cubes. Okay. Back to our power pop thing, Mary. This is uh, Christy Girl that came out in 1978. Cool. So we're going back. This is finally getting out of the 90s, everyone. Let's go back I mean, to... We 19- started in 2011. Uh, that's true. Back to 1978. Although I guess that song was recorded in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, anyway, sorry, back to the 70s. Back to the 70s. This is the Flash Cubes and Christy Girl. Here we go.
Yes. We're back. We are. What? Are we? Yeah. What did you think of the Flash Cubes, Mary? I thought it was a pretty nice song. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. Really? Wow, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love this song. I could sing this song all day. Really? Yeah, I just find this song really... Uh, I don't even know what they're singing in the song. I just like the voices and I love the I love the, the harmonies and the whole Christy Girl part of the song. I just think it's oh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's great. So this group was from Syracuse, Syracuse New York. Okay. Which is a smallish town yes. that is not in New York City and not related to New York no. City. Yep. And I think Syracuse. I think a lot of people have heard of Syracuse. Is that right? I think so. Hmm. Could be wrong. And uh, yeah, so they they were the group that kind of started the whole quote unquote new wave scene in Syracuse. So they uh, were made up of four guys that were all kind of weird music fans. Hmm. So they you know they were kind of off the beaten path in what they liked in music. They liked punk. They liked power pop stuff like the Raspberries and Badfinger. Right. They liked uh, 60s sounds like the Beatles and, mm-hmm. and the Kinks. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, but they also, but I, like, I think I said, they also liked punk. So they kind of combined all that into like this sort of sound of, right. of what, what became power, power punk, which became power punk or power pop. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like it was, what's funny about the scene, I mean, besides the Raspberries and the Badfinger, who, the Badfinger, who I think are, kind of the touchstones for a lot of these groups so many of them were operating completely in a vacuum from from other groups mm-hmm. you know like like really the flash cubes never made it out of syracuse you know like they never had any national exposure so no one no one in in say dayton ohio knew who the flash cubes right. were and or anyone in la didn't know who the flash cubes were right but they were making music that was very similar to what the flash cubes were doing hmm. because they were all kind of drawing from the same well right you know that and most of them are reacting to the kind of music that was popular at the time. Right. You know, and they're like, well, I don't want to sound like Steely Dan. I don't want to sound like Seals and Crofts. I don't want to sound like the Eagles. I don't want to sound like... Spittoon's getting a lot of work today. It's really getting a lot of work. This, the, I don't want to, you know, I want to sound, I want a music to have like some, some fun to it. I want it to be vibrant. I want it to be dynamic. I want it to, to rock a little bit. I want it to, to kind of remind us of the great music of the 60s. Right. You know, which most bands from the 70s had, had thrown all that, that music out, had thrown all that sound out. Hmm. They were still kind of locked into the Beatles at Abbey Road. Right. And these guys are drawing, like, I think at the very first show that, that that the Flash Cubes did, they played Hold Me Tight by the by the Beatles. So they were drawing, like, right from the very beginning of the Beatles with their sound. So they were, like I said, there were four guys. And I'll name them just because let's name them. Mm-hmm. Let's give them a name. Sure. Uh, Gary Frenet on bass. Okay. R.T. Lennon. On guitar, okay. not, not his real name. Paul not related to. It's spelled like like the uh, political leader, not oh, the okay. uh, musician. Hmm. Paul Armstrong on guitar mm-hmm. and Tommy Allen on drums. Hmm. And like I say, and all of them came from sort of different musical tastes. So they it brought it all into one into one thing. So the band That's kind cool. of synthesized. Yeah, and that really does make a difference, I think. And uh, like I say, they were kind of drawing from punk rock as well, because one of them had visited England. Paul Armstrong had gone to England and visited, and he just fell in love with like the punk rock scene there while he was there because cool. he was really interested in what was going on. And then because he heard about it, mm-hmm. I remember hearing about it when I was growing up, but you didn't know what it was. Right, you just got like the the, the hype. You got the hysterical yeah. press coverage about it. Right, you didn't hear the music. Yeah, people were putting safety pins through their ears or whatever. <gasps> in their noses. Their noses, not their noses. <laughs> your your nose, that's that sacred thing on your face. <laughs> How are you supposed to smell? (laughs) 
And so, yeah, they started playing around town. And, of course, they faced a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. People said, you know, you guys will never amount to anything. Right. They were kind of right. They were kind of right, but not yeah. through any fault of the band. No. I mean, you know, it's just, if there's no if there's no infrastructure for you as a group, yeah, it's really hard. Like, they they were in touch with Bomp Records and Bomp Magazine, Greg Shaw, who was in L.A. And Bomp were like a big mover and shaker for the power pop kind of punk punk pop kind of scene. But, you know, there's only so much you can do as like a magazine based in L.A. for a group that's based in Syracuse. Right. You know, he's kind of like, well, I, you know, I'll write about you guys. But, you know, then the the issue doesn't come out right away and the group's yeah. like waiting to hear about it. So they did record a single, but they recorded it at a studio at Syracuse University where two students were, produced it as a part of a, of a school project. Hmm. Sounds. But the song sounds pretty good. Oh, well, that's good. I think. Don't you think it's yeah, like in terms no, of production? I, I it, sounds, it sounded good. Yeah. And so, and then the, the B side of the single were two songs that had been recorded in, in Paul Armstrong's basement on a TIAC recorder on a four track that he had in the basement. So, so they basically just put two demos on the other side and released it as a single. Right. And they were, they were planning to do a four song EP, but, you know, money and other things kind of came in, the, in their way. But they did get to open for like a lot of big, sort of new wavy kind of acts, like the Pretenders well, and, that's good. And, and stuff like that. Because in those days, which is interesting, I was thinking about this the other day when I was reading about them, which is. It's something that's disappeared now. Like nowadays, when you go to see a band, yeah. they'll have an opening act, but usually the opening act tours with them. Yeah, like when, like when even I saw One Direction. Yes. They didn't have like a local. Yeah. Band. They had Five Seconds of Summer. That's right. Who had done the whole tour with them? Mm-hmm. And when Eve saw them in Seattle. Yeah. The next night. Yeah. Or two nights later, or whatever. Yeah. It was also Five Seconds of Summer that's because right. they went with them sure. to all the different places. Sure. Whereas when I when I went to see concerts when I was growing up, when you went to see One Direction, not to see One One Direction, but when I went and saw local shows, yeah. you know, smaller shows, it wouldn't it, it would be about the same with like I remember going to see Van Halen at the Pacific Coliseum and they had After the Fire opening for them. After the Fire had, had a hit with Dirk Commissar, completely inappropriate group to be opening for Van Halen. I have no idea why they put these two two acts together. Maybe just as a way to make Van Halen look better because they weren't great live. But really, oh yeah, they were not a very good live band. Oh, interesting. Not interesting at all. Rather boring. Hmm. Unlike Judas Priest, who I didn't know any songs by when I went and saw them with my friend. He was a fan. Right. But they were good? But they were fantastic live. Hmm. Like, really entertaining. Yeah. Whereas Van Halen were really boring. Huh. And I knew Van Halen songs. I actually liked Van Halen, and I wanted to go see them. And then the concert was just like... (laughs) But Judas Priest, too, I didn't know any songs by them. Uh, They were really fun. Yeah. Really great show. I mean, I I guess it is different. It's different talents to... Make good music, yeah, and to perform an interesting show. Well, yeah, and you don't you, like people aren't necessarily good at both of those, right? Yeah. And Van Halen were essentially a bar band, right? That hadn't grown to the new size it was playing in. Yeah. Whereas Judas Priest really understood like making a show. Like the show opens with Rob Halford riding out on stage on a motorcycle through the Marshall stacks that are right. obviously fake Marshall stacks, sure. but the Marshall stacks that are behind, and there's all those lights and smoke coming out and stuff yeah. like that, and. And during the show, there's all kinds of other goofy things happening, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of fun. It's, yeah. it's a fun show. They, yeah. they make it fun. And whereas, you know, the 15-minute-long, interminable Eddie Van Halen's right. guitar solo, not that entertaining. Yeah. Or like Sofiane Stevens, where everyone's wearing bird wings. Yeah, that's fun, though. Yeah, it's fun. That's what I'm saying. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. It's like a good... Uh... But that, I mean, Sofiane Stevens, I mean, I wouldn't want to have to stand through a whole show of his. No. Because but... it's not really a visual experience. It's more of an... Uh, 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 you know, more of a. Mm, I would say Age of Odds was a visual experience. To a degree. Like, what was visual about it? The, the images in the back of the screen? Yeah. I mean, it's okay. It's not that great. I mean, it is visual. 
to a degree, but it's not it sort of repeats itself over and over again. It's not like it's it's not really like it's not unvarying. It's just right. same, I mean, it is unvarying almost. It's just like a fire image. And... No, they had different stuff because they had different stuff for each song. Oh, okay. Right, like Vesuvius, you had the volcano, mm-hmm. and then for Age of Odds, you had Royal Rob Robertson. Was that his name? You got me. Royal Robertson's art. Just pretend you. Just, just pretend that's what it is. No one's gonna. No one's gonna call I you. I just want to say Royal Roads, but that's, that's the university. That's the university. Yeah, pretty sure it's Royal Robertson. University slash X Men Academy. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, like, his, I mean, his music's also not really standing music. You know, like Harry and Lowell. Yeah. It's not like you're not, you're not like dancing to that. No, no, no. Right. Like that was really good in the theater that we saw it in, where everyone got to sit. Yeah. That's you know? why I like it. Yeah. That's why I like it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so um, I can't remember where I was going with everything, but they they um, ben yeah, the, the single. Oh, so the single, the single. Oh, so yeah, they put the single out, and then they're going to do an EP, but it didn't really didn't really amount to anything. And they were waiting, like I say, they were waiting for. Oh yeah, but you said that they sorry they um opened for some good acts. They opened for oh, and I was going to say yeah, like when I was um a kid, so acts would come to town, and then there'd be like local acts would open for them. So they would, you know, like the the show promoters would bring in like local groups open right. for them, and that was kind of fun for them as well, like a thrill for them. Yeah, totally. You know, so that's what that's what um, the Flash Kids were doing in Syracuse. So when big, bigger acts came that were kind of quote unquote new wave acts or whatever, then they would the Ramones, the Pretenders, stuff mm-hmm. like that. They would open for them in Syracuse, and they did go to New York and perform there for a couple concerts. But yeah, after after doing like the the first single. They did put out one more single, but the band kind of started to... One problem was they signed to a management contract. Okay. And the manager insisted they get rid of one of the members of the group, Paul Armstrong. Oh. And as it turned out, that guy was like the motor of the band. He was the ambitious guy who was like getting them to do more and more. Why did they want to get rid of him? Because he was more of a punk rock guy. Oh. And they felt he didn't fit the mold they wanted the band to be. Right. They didn't want them to be punk rock. They They wanted them to be poppy. Yeah. Yeah. And so they got rid of him and, and he was kind of a weak guitar player, to be honest, but... You know, still, a band is a band, and yeah. that's what makes you a group, is yeah. all your weaknesses and your, are your strengths in, yep. in most cases. And, you know, everyone well, yeah, brings like, their own thing to the group. There's a reason, if he's not a very good guitar player, mm-hmm. there's another reason he's in the band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not like they're keeping him around <laughs> just because of his not very good guitar playing. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're keeping him around because he's, yeah, the the force behind the band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's too bad. So, they, they broke up in 1980, but actually what's interesting is they... In the 90s, they got back together again. Okay. This song, Christy Girl, was included on a rhino compilation of, of uh, power pop groups. And so that kind of put some wind in the sails. Mm-hmm. And they started performing around Syracuse again. And, they, and they've and they reformed and put out some and done some records, like later records as well. So that's pretty cool. I like that. I like that story. So you thought it was pretty nice, but not your favorite. Yeah. But it, but it doesn't mean you didn't like it. You did like it, though. Yeah, I liked it. Okay. I mean, there's only, there's only one song that's your favorite. I, don't, I think you can stop saying it's not my favorite. I just mean, by that, I just mean I, I don't love it. Oh, okay. Like, I don't like it, like, a lot. Oh, okay. Like, it's fine. Yeah. But I probably wouldn't, like, search it out on oh, my own. okay. You know? I wouldn't skip it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay. But, yeah, I'm, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, like, I need to, like, download that song on Spotify or whatever. Yeah. You do yeah. need to download it on Spotify. Well, I'm, okay. This, I mean, I probably won't. That's but... my my advice. Okay. You should you should hear that song a few more times. Okay. I've should, listened to the should, mix, like, five times. You should okay. learn to love that song. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to your next song. End of end of my spiel to Mary here. So, my in, unconvincing spiel. <laughs> let's move on to the earlies, and this is a song is called "One of Us Is Dead." It is from 2004, Mary, or 2005, which is when I bought this record. All right, let's give it 
a listen.
And we're back. And Mary, what did you think of the earlies? Uh, I thought it was fine. Ooh, thought it was fine. Yeah, it was. You're gonna fine. say not your favorite again? Yeah, again. I mean, I'm gonna be honest, yeah. Dad. These songs are all good. Yeah. But none of them are really like knocking my socks off. Okay. You know. Huh. Well, you can't can't win them all, I guess. No. You and Nathan agree with each other. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I am just, you know, I haven't been wowed. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of like the song because it has a sort of a beta band vibe to it. To oh, me. okay. Okay. I can see that. And so I quite like this. I quite like it for that. But I just like songs that are sort of slow and, uh, mm-hmm. and weird. Yep. And have a sort of psych, like, you, sort wait, of you neo-psych like weird song. songs? Yeah. Huh. And has a sort of a neo-psych element to it. Mm-hmm. A kind of a folk psych kind of sound to mm-hmm. me. And what I thought was, when I first heard it, I thought, well, this is really interesting. I thought, because I thought the band was British. But I also thought thought it sounded kind of American. Okay. That sound, and it turns out that that is exactly true. Because they're Australian. <laughs> no, because two of the members are British and two of them are American. Oh, okay. Who are living in England? Right. So a couple of guys in the group, the guy named Christian Madden, another guy named Giles Hatton, were from Lancashire, England. Mm-hmm. And then the other half, Brandon Carr and John Mark Lapham, came from the United States. Okay. And two of the members, Hatton and Lapham, came out of the ambient electronica scene. Okay. And so I, you can kind of hear that in their music as well, like the right. kind of the use of synth and stuff like that. So they mix electronica with folk and psychedelia. Uh, and then along, I think they can kind of hear the Beach Boys in their sound as well as sort of country rock elements. And what's interesting is when they performed live, they performed as an 11-piece group. Huh. So there's the four core members who were like the songwriters. But when they performed live, they'd bring in like all the horns and stuff like that that they needed for their songs. And they've, they have released two albums. These were the earlies which is where this one comes from, which came out in England in 2004, but was released here in 2005. Hmm. And then uh, the another one called The Enemy Chorus. And apparently they were doing some stuff in 2015, but they have not like officially broken up. They're just kind of like a long-term hiatus. Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to tell sometimes with groups nowadays. Yeah. It's kind of weird how groups work. Right. Like in the past, groups got mad at each other. They got in fistfights and they broke up and they would start other groups. Right. And nowadays it seems like groups just kind of like, peter out but no one like starts with another band huh. or you don't know what's going on it's weird hmm. it's sort of a different thing right different thing entirely i wonder if it's just like i don't know harder to make a living maybe yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like you know if people kind of feel like they'll take a chance on it and if it doesn't work out they'll you know move on to something else whereas maybe there's a bit more of an idea of like well this didn't work out but maybe the next one will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool cool all right mayor yes Let's move on. Okay. To our uh, next song. <laughs> I don't know what number we're at now. Uh, uh, we are oh. on song number six. Song number six. Okay. We're halfway there. Okay. So this is the next song. This uh, is Cuff the Duke, more CanCon. Yes, but not VanCon, right? But not VanCon. This is uh, East Coast, or not East Coast, Central Canada, CanCon. I, I th- I'd say Ontario. Oh, I guess not Coast. S- Central CanCon, and okay. it's uh, it's not East Coast. No. They're Ontario, Ontario right? yeah. So, uh, Central CanCon, and it's uh, Cuff the Duke. The song is Long Winter from their first album, which was called Life Stories from, Min- from Minimum Wage from 2002. So, let's give this song a listen, everyone. Here we go. This is Long Winter. Everything is moving too fast, and you don't care. How am I supposed to feel now that you're not there? Now that you're not there. Now that you're not there. 
think of uh cuff the duke i like this one a lot oh you did yeah it was fun oh cool um i thought it was energetic okay yep energetic Mm -hmm. just an e i said fun too and fun oh sorry f e f e f e f energetic and fun e and f that's good yeah um we've already talked about them we played we played a song uh from their album already on the show from this one from this oh yeah well then so it's no point talking about them i just will say Uh uh-huh Introduced them by Sloan because they opened for Sloan. Oh yeah. Uh, we were talking about when we were talking about the the flash cubes. Of course, we we're talking mm-hmm. about 
groups this the local s- groups yeah where for... Sloan were a band that took the groups with them across Canada right because mostly when they brought groups with them they wanted to introduce them to to well, Canadian listeners well that's the listeners. thing right and they they were t- they weren't taking or they weren't it wasn't like you know for using One Direction as an example again yeah. because they're I haven't really seen that many bands that have had openers okay but One Direction is definitely the biggest concert I've been to mm-hmm. but like. I think a lot of their fans already knew Five Seconds of Summer. Okay. It was a very similar big band or like popular boy band. Sure. Right? So like they were, yeah, like I think that there were some people who were there and were like equally excited to see Five Seconds of Summer as well, right? Okay. Whereas with Sloan, they would bring with them like, yeah, they would bring local acts like from Canada. Yeah. Like um, Rufus Wainwright, you said Mm -hmm. you saw. Saw him, Danko Jones. Mm Um. Cuff the Duke. Cuff the Duke course. is another one. Uh, gee, I can't remember a bunch of a bunch of other groups, and I can't remember who they were, which is too bad for them. I think I saw the Deers open for. Oh, that's cool. The Deers open for Sloan, I think, and then I saw um, uh, the group that did. Uh, I can't remember what they're called now. Anyway, it was a it was an all girl act that opened for them as well. Oh, um, Metric. Not Metric. No, it was. Um, we played a song by them during during the the All Canada mixtape. Oh, I can't, I, remember, I can't remember the song's title now because I'm dumb. Not dumb. But um, not w- dumb. Oh, thanks. Deaf. So no, let's not that either. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, l- yeah. So well, we'll just move on from Cuff the Duke. Just uh, they were they were fun, really fun live band. Oh yeah, that's what that's really impressed good. me most of all. So even though I didn't buy the CD right away. I don't think they had CDs for sale at the show for right, whatever reason. Right, but you like kept thinking about them. I kept afterwards. thinking about them for a long time That's afterwards cool. and bought it later on. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I have both of their albums now, both the CDs. So uh, yeah, let's let's move on to our next our okay. next song, Mary. What's our next song? So, Mary. Yes. Keeping on with the CanCon. Mm-hmm. Keeping on with the VanCon. Ooh, yep. This is Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck. Oh, okay. The song is One Ring Jane mm-hmm. from a single that came out on Duck Records, mm-hmm. their own record label. Yep. In 1969. Okay. What's it called? It's called One Ring Jane. Okay. I said that, but I'll say it again oh. for you. <laughs> I wasn't listening, apparently. <laughs> apparently not. Apparently not. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to do that. You don't have to listen to me. I'm used mm, to that. That's okay. I was thinking about something else, mm-hmm. which was related to the pot. Anyway, anyway. Anyway. What were you thinking about? Well, I was thinking that it's interesting that they are from Vancouver, mm-hmm. because I was thinking that they sounded a lot like Chilliwack, or they reminded me of Chilliwack. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and I was like, oh, I wonder who this is. And... That's Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck. So I was also thinking, oh, yep. did we see a thing about them at the, or some sort of thing at the, um, do you remember one time we went to the... Vancouver Museum? Yeah. Yes. And there's a thing about them. We'll talk about it when we come back. Okay. Let's talk about it when we come back. Because okay. yeah, that's it's interesting. Okay. So we'll listen to the song, everyone. This is One Ring Jane. This song, by the way, mm-hmm. is one of two of the reasons why this these mixtapes exist. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was talking about how great this song was. Mm-hmm. And I think I played it on Sneaky Dragon because I liked it so much. Right. I can't remember if I did or not. I just talked about it. Yeah. And Ian was like, well, if you like music so much, why don't you make mixtapes? No, he didn't say it like that, but you know what I mean? Right. Somehow it came he up. Didn't put it up. He didn't put it up as a challenge? He didn't like put it as that? a challenge. Yeah, it wasn't like in, in your face, Dave. Yeah. No, it was more like, since you're unemployed right now, maybe if people... And I was kind of like, yeah, that's... And so I said, you know, if people send me CDRs, I'll make you a mixtape. So that came out of that. But anyway, this is the one of the one of the songs that caused it. This is One Ring Jane. Let's go finally start it. Here we go. Start it, Dave. Yeah, Dave. (laughs) You can ring 114 for a smooth or for a tour. If it's fun you're looking for, write it down now, 114. 
If we just blew into time And you feel a little down You can bring one one for one for it's if fun, you're looking, looking for, for looking Write it down now Write it down now One, one Mary. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm going to let you think. I'm going to let you think that Christy Girl was fine. Yep. I'm going to let you think whatever else that you thought was fine is mm-hmm. fine. Yep. But you had to like this song. Yeah, it's a really good song. This is a really good song. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad. So what do you say about it? What do you think? I said, I like this one. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It's energetic. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it an F and an E. Yep. Fun and energetic. Yes. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you liked it. Also, Iron. Also, iron? Because F-E is the sign for iron. Also, oh, yes, that's right. On the element table, iron. I'll put an I for iron. Okay. (laughs) Well, now it's not the sign for iron anymore. No, no, I put a line, so it's it's F-E slash I. Okay. So it reminds me that That looks like, if you put like a a plus sign there, it was like F plus E equals I. Yeah, there you go. 
Okay. So if F is four, yeah, and I is seven, what's E? If F is four, uh huh, and I is seven, yes, then E is three, isn't it? Yep. Okay, thank you. It's algebra. Good job, Dad. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, so now we were talking before we played the song, mm-hmm. and I'm so tempted to play it one more time just for the heck of it. I like the song. <laughs> it's so a good much. song. Yeah, yep. it's so good. So Mary, before we started playing the song, you were mentioning some seeing something in a museum. Yes. Featuring them. Well, I thought that we had gone. In my memory, okay. I thought that we had gone to the observatory. The planetarium. The, the Blodell Observatory or yeah. the planetarium yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And s- saw something there. And I can't, but this, it was a Here, while ago. let me tell you what it was. Okay. First thing, we went to the Vancouver Museum. Yes. Which is at the planetarium. Okay. Or the Macmillan Blodell. That makes sense. Observatory, you're right. But we went there to see a... a <laughs> the Fluvog exhibit? Yeah, I went to see an exhibit of a local shoe store. Yes, Fluvog. Very influential shoe store, even yep. even outside of Vancouver, very influential. Yes. But uh, the, the Fox and Fluvog, it was called. So Peter Fox mm-hmm. and John Fluvog, two mm-hmm. guys who had, you know, met in Vancouver, actually weirdly met at a church, going to church together. Not weird at all. Weren't they Dutch? Um, I think one guy was. Sound Dutch. Fluvog sounds Dutch. Yeah, it does sound. But but yeah, so they were... But seeing that, sh- seeing that show and reading that story about them where they met at church, and then they were like, brought a guy back from Toronto came they brought him back east to make clogs for them yeah and this guy had come was working for like also very Dutch clogs <laughs> but also very 70s yes um I remember going to my friend with with my friend to his Catholic church when I was a kid mm-hmm. and all the girls from choir walking up the walking up the aisle to, to sing yeah and they're all wearing clogs so it sounded like a team of draft horses walking <laughs> through the church but anyway clip so clip clop yeah, clip clop yeah yep but so they brought this guy from Toronto to to come work for them and make clogs, and he came from a Christian commune okay. in Toronto. And so he would write these uh, bi- biblical extracts, like little quotations and stuff like that, in carve them into the soles of the wooden shoes, right? And stuff. So there's this whole weird like religious element to, yeah. to the store, which you don't really see very much nowadays, right? Like 50s, 60s. But early 60s particularly, yes, because mm-hmm. that was still a part of people's lives, big part of people's lives. They still went to church and stuff like that. Yeah. And so that's where you tended to be social and that's where you met people right. and things. So, yeah. Wait, so are you saying that people don't meet each other at church anymore? Or are yeah, you saying that... I think it's not the same. I don't think it has the same function in people's lives with the same... I think it does. Well, not in mine anyway. Not in yours, but it does in people who are churchy people's yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, churchy nowadays has, has a particular kind of connotation yeah and a lot of people aren't shoe aren't artists aren't going to go into making shoes and stuff like that although in abbotsford yeah um there's a big mennonite population there okay and that mennonite population has been opening up a lot of even i were down there today in that mennonite yeah it's like this hip mennonite area (laughs) with all these like hip bakeries and stuff yeah yeah a lot of signs um, with a lot of black signs with white lettering on them yeah and like a lot of like it's all it all looks like a Pinterest board. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And like one of my co my my coworker who um, used to do the job that I do, and she trained me. Yeah. And she like comes back um, to help us out with some stuff. Like she came out to help us out with Christmas decorating, mm-hmm. and she's really into all that. She's Mennonite, and she's mm-hmm. very into all that like decorating, Pinteresty, yeah, kind of stuff. And yeah. um, yeah, it's just like, and she worked at a, one of those bakeries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's just. Yeah, very Pinteresty, like lots of light colors and okay. fl- like okay. fl- green greenery. Maybe you we'll know? see another fox and fluvog come out of that. Uh, Maybe come out of that world. Oh, but the other thing I was gonna say was, um, you do still sometimes see inscriptions like that on stuff, or maybe not inscriptions, but if you've ever, do you know Doctor Bronner's? No, it's like a soap 
company. Okay, okay. But their label has oh, all. Sorry. Another what? <laughs> Mary, you've awakened my Turn Google. Turn your phone off. You've awakened my Google. Okay, I'll turn power off. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, it's, it's a soap, and the label has all this like really dense text on it. Yeah. If you ever read it, it's like this big like diatribe. <laughs> it's very interesting. Well, the 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 fox and fluvog ones weren't diatribes; they were more right. like cute little sayings. And stuff right. Like that, you know, and they still do that on the on their 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 souls, but right. nowadays they're less more re- secular, more secular, less yeah. less religious. Yeah. Um, fluvog's also very popular among doctors. Apparently, yeah. Because Doctor yeah. Bonnie Henry, yeah, um, wears them and yeah. is very well known for that. Yeah. And my mother-in-law also wears them. <laughs> there you go. And she's also a doctor. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Uh, a case study of two. Yep. But I'll take that as a, as a, as a blanket. Yes. Blanket. Yep. All doctors wear fluvog. I know two women doctors, and they both wear fluvogs. Done. Well, I wore fluvog shoes growing up. Did you? Well, as a, like a young man. Cool. I had a pair of fluvog pointy to pointy toed boots with Cuban heels. Very uncomfortable to wear, but you know. Oh really? One must bow to fashion. But anyway, at this But Yeah. Uh my mother in law always yeah. buys very comfortable ones. Yeah. You can get like very comfortable oh, I'm sure stylish you can, ones. But those, boots, those are the ones the, that Bonnie Henry wears as I well. I bought like beetle boots. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. So they were Yeah, not very comfortable. Yeah, they well I mean they were fine, but they you know mm. they were you know, required you to not have on, toes. Walk around on your tippy toes. Oh, also there were heels, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. So um but yeah, the other thing they had of this so we went and saw this Fox and Fluvog exhibit. Mm-hmm. And then we went in his other room and they had set up in there, bizarrely to me, yeah. they had set up like a hippie apartment. Yeah. That you would have seen on West 4th Avenue right. back in the 60s when West 4th wasn't the boutique shopping district it has become. Yeah. But in those days it was like the wasteland of Vancouver <laughs> and no one would want to live there. And so let's let the hippies live there. And yeah. so there was like this this miles and miles of, of apartments that were made in... in were made in the old houses so you take right. an old house yeah like an old victorian house yeah and then you subdivide it into like four parts in, or whatever four, into four apartments that's right and so there's all these hippies living there and so they made like this they made this replica of a of a 1960 late 1960s hippie pad right and on the record player was playing one ring jane hmm by the my mother, mother Tucker's Yellow Duck, and that's yeah. and I noticed that, and I loved it so much because you were very excited about it because I knew I that song, that. and I was like, yeah. oh, this is so this is so authentic. <laughs> it's crazy how authentic it is because it was also on the Duck label, like it was the actual song, like it was right. just so like perfect. Yeah, and those aren't super hard to find, but they're pretty rare. Yeah, but it was a pre- it was a pretty big song here in Vancouver, so yeah. you do I mean, I you would find them at Valley Museum Village. Museum would be able to find it. Sure, and Valley yeah. Village, of course, was like if yeah. someone probably went to Valley Village and went, what can I get that's like really Vancouver-y or right. whatever. Someone's like, oh, this is like Ur Vancouver. Yeah. Like, this is like the song of, the, right. of 1969 here yeah. in Vancouver. Hmm. Yeah. Because Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck, they were hippies. Let's put it that way. Sure. Sound like hippies. So the band grew out of a group of stage performers. So sort of like a mime troupe kind hmm. of thing. Uh, and so the group performed as different characters. So there was this transplanted Bostonian named Kathy Kay. And she played a character called Mother Tucker. There's this guy called Patrick Caldwell, and he played a character called Yellow Duck. Okay. And there's a guy named Bob O'Connor, and he played a character named Dogan Pinkfoot. Mm. Didn't make it into the into the band title, I guess. No, he had to stop at some point. <laughs> and then there was another guy named Michael Goldman who played a character called Garnet Crystalman. So out of this collective, Garnet Crystalman, it's a little on the nose, but okay. So uh, out of this collective, Bob O'Connor joined a band called Medusa. He was a guitarist as well as like a performer, which feature, featured a bassist named Charlie Faulkner and a drummer named Hugh Lockhead. Very, very Scottish name. Mm-hmm. And then O'Connor then left the group 
And he was replaced by fellow Mother Tucker's um, troop member, this guy named Patrick Caldwell, who sang and, and played harmonica. And so Caldwell changed the name of the group from Medusa to Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck as sort of a tribute to the group that he and O'Connor had come from. Right. And then they added a guitar player to replace O'Connor named Roger Law. And then they met this guy named uh, Don McDougall. Once again, very uh, very Scottish name. Yep. Very Canadian. Yep. Uh, Sounds he, like he just moved from uh, from the Maritimes. That's right. He was from Winnipeg. He was an itinerant folk singer. Okay. A guitar player from Winnipeg. Can and I so just inter- he was passing intercept through Vancouver. here quickly? You can intercept. Uh, to mention the most Maritimes name of someone I ever met. Okay. Dougal McDonald. That is so right. So Canadian. So Canadian. He was. I'm pretty sure he was from Newfoundland. Yeah, that yeah. is very Canadian. Yeah. Uh, so then. And yes, his dad was a fisherman. Okay. Because he was from Newfoundland. Of course he was. Yeah. Cod fishery. Kathleen, yes. my other friend who's also from Newfoundland, yeah. said that everyone from Newfoundland was a fisherman. Yeah. Or um, ran a fish and chips restaurant. Sure. Or maybe supplied fishermen with yeah. gear. Yeah. yeah. Also, everyone, Chandlers. also, apparently everyone else there was also named Kathleen, and she was not very happy about it. Ka- well, I know a lady from Newfoundland whose name was not Kathleen. Oh, well then. Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> But she has like the perfect name to me, Catherine Murray. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a great name. It is. A, it is. It's a great name. Yeah. Well, I believe Kate Beaton is a Kathleen. Okay. But Beaton, that's an okay name. I don't really like the name Beaton. Beaton? Yeah. That's, yeah. It's sort of weird. Hard to say. Mm. And, but Catherine, Catherine Murray. It's just like. Yeah. No, Catherine Murray. I'm just saying Kate Beaton, another Kathleen. Yeah, yeah. I believe she's from Newfoundland. She's from Cape Breton. Oh, Cape Breton, which is. An island, part of the Maritimes. But what province is it part of? I believe it's part of Nova Scotia or maybe New Brunswick. New Brunswick, okay. maybe? Okay. But it's not on its own. It's a... It's, no, I know. It's part of one of the Maritimes. Yeah. But it's not a... It's or not, it's part of one of the it's provinces. It's not big enough to be a, a province like Prince Edward Island. Yeah. You're looking it up, are you? You're going to correct yeah. me. Well, no. I just I just. I said know. two of them anyway. Uh, Nova Scotia, yep. Nova Scotia. There we go. Um, so after releasing... They released a song called Funny Feeling. It came out and with... Uh, backed with I, it came out on the TCP label. Get it? TCP? Yep. And uh, they were signed to London Records in 1968. We thought, oh, these guys might make it. And so they re-released Funny Feeling uh, with I, and it wasn't a success. So so then the group moved to Capitol Records, but what they did is they started their own record label called called Duck Records. Yep. And Capitol was the distributor of Duck Records. Okay. So like, so they put out two records on Duck. They put two albums out on Duck Records, and they put out about seven singles. But unfortunately, uh, other than other than One Ring Jane, nothing else really kind of caught people's a, a imagination or attention. Right. And they never really moved past like the West Coast. As right. A, as a, you know, they 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 did a few tours up and down the West Coast, but they didn't really travel outside of that point and and definitely their music was like unknown to the rest of canada yeah like that it stopped at the rockies in terms of of people being interested in mm. it which is too bad because they homegrown stuff is quite a good album my problem though with homegrown stuff is they re-recorded one ring jane for that album and, and it's, it's not, not as good it's not as good as the single yeah, yeah it's not as good as the single that's so unfortunate it, yeah yeah so that's why i specify this as the single not, not right. the album track from homegrown stuff so did you also have the single i also have the single yeah i found it at valley village when i was nice when I used to shop there all the time. Cool. Because I would look for it. Right, yeah. It has a very distinct yellow label. Oh, yeah. Yellow and cool. red label. Yeah. Good stuff, though. And I'm going to play one more Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck song before we go, just because I, 
I don't think we'll ever play it again. And I want probably I wanna, not. So I want to play Funny Feeling. This is the original version of the song. They re-recorded it and released it on Duck Records in 1969. But this is the original 1968 version, which I also have on record, Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, which came out on... I have the London one, not the TCP one. I wish I had the TCP one. That'd be pretty cool. But this is the London Records version of Funny Feeling uh, from 1968. Here we go. I feel funny feeling Coming on
right, we're back, and Mary, what did you think of uh, Funny Feeling? That was a good song. It's very no, good. No, I don't think it was as good as... No, no, no. But, I, yeah, still good. One Ring good. Jane is their... One Ring Jane is their masterpiece. But they've done... It was one of the nice songs. They're, they're, they're late, their later albums are a little bit more country rock oriented. Okay. There's a little bit of psych guitar in there, which keeps it keeps it fun, but... Um, yeah, it's not... Uh, you know what I was thinking, though, when we were listening to it, is that it's funny, because there's Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck. Yeah. And there was another Vancouver group from around the same time period called Mock Duck. Which is weird. There was um, run. It was uh, the main main guitar player in the group is a guy named Joe Mock, and uh, so the group is forever. Whatever reason is called Mock Duck. Hmm. Which uh, you know what? You know what, Mary? Yes. I'm gonna play a song by them. Okay. Just because I'm a goof. Sure. So this is uh, this song is called Do Re Mi, and Mock Duck didn't record very much. So this song is actually comes from a, a benefit album. That was done in the late 60s. In 1969, it was called the Kool-Aid Benefit Album. There was a house here in Vancouver called the Kool-Aid House, and it was uh, a youth hostel for people who were runaways and, and street kids. Uh, it was a place for them to, ha- to t- have shelter. It was kind of run by run as a commune by, by local hippies, hippie types. And so they put together this, this benefit concert and album as a way to raise money for the, for the hostel. So uh, let's give it a listen to. This song is called Do Re Mi by Mock Duck from about 1969. Okay. Tell me why 
right, so that was Mock Duck. Kind of pointing towards prog rock, I think, a little bit in their sound there. With, uh, yeah. They're very jazzy. I have a I have a CD of theirs. It's, a, it's kind of a collection of demos and stuff that they did, and then some live stuff. And hmm. they there's some like like 12 minute long jazz workouts by them as well as some Ugh. like oh, i like jazz so i'm okay, okay with that but um yeah it's anyway ask me mary it, here in vancouver we used to have a show that played on on the local rock radio station called electric lunch okay and okay. they would play songs from the 60s that was the only time you heard songs from the 60s on that radio station right most of the time it was 70 songs or, or the you know the top the top 40 kind of stuff that yeah. was popular that time but ask me how many times i heard one ring jane on on that uh, how many show. times did you hear it never Really? Ever. Weird. Never, ever heard them. Huh. Never played anything Vancouver on that show. That's so weird. I know. Like, we had, like, it's a really... It's pretty disappointing. It is disappointing, because we had, like, a really... Good like, scene. Really burgeoning scene here. Yeah. Like, there's a club called the Retinal Circus, hmm. and they were, like, the the place to go to to watch shows, and everyone yeah. played there. They had a fantastic light show as part, yeah. of the, part of the place, and... Chilliwack had some 60s albums, too, right? Chilliwack... Mm, I think they would have been... More At least the collectors did. The collectors did, yeah. The collectors yeah. did, for sure. The collectors. Uh, the Poppy family. Mm. Uh, the electric, uh, the uh, hydroelectric streetcar. Yeah. Um, Papa, Papa Bear's Medicine Show. There was quite a few bands that played around town mm. here that... that uh, there's one called... Oh, what are they called? can't remember the name now. Sorry. But um, yeah, they were... I don't think they ever did an album... They were super popular in town, but they didn't actually do an album until like the the late eighties. Right. They got they reformed and put on an album, uh, you know, so people to other other older stuff, just so people get to hear. Uh, I can't remember the name now. I do have the CD. My uh, friend of mine gave it to me because he wanted me to hear it. That's why I first heard Mother Tucker as well, because uh, a friend of mine who's about ten years older than me, he's like, "You never heard this, but you're gonna love it." So hmm. he played it for me, and I was just like, "Boom, so good." All right, that's enough. That's enough of me and uh, some some Van Con. Some Vancouver uh, uh, reminiscing, even though I never heard it growing up, so, which is so so dumb. Yeah, like what city, you know, just like craps on its own like that. It's just yeah, so weird. Vancouver to- is such a weird town. It is. Well, yeah, and I feel like as a local radio station, you should you should be working to try to promote local acts. They never did though. Those stations, Ugh. they're the Ugh. worst. The worst. Yeah. Okay, let's hear another song. Okay. This is part of the mixtape. The last couple of songs weren't. Let's get back on track, Mary. Yeah. Enough of this goofing around, Mary. I know. What was what you, I doing? Yeah, Playing doing? two <laughs> songs that weren't even on our mix. <laughs> yeah. What's going on over here? <laughs> really losing the... You're losing the plot. Yeah. All right. Let's get back on the rails. Losing the plot, much like Sword in the Stone. There. Oh, what, what plot? There wasn't even a plot to lose. <laughs> All right. This is the dramatics from their album, What You See Is What You Get. Mm-hmm. The song is called What You See Is What You Get. Mm-hmm. It all happened in 1971. Let's give it a listen, everybody. Hey, some people are made of plastic.
And Mary, what did you think of the dramatics? What you see is what you get. That was fun. Fun, yeah. Yes, yeah, I liked it. That's good. Well, you liked it a lot. Yep. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear oh, that. I also forgot to say. Yeah. About Mother Tucker. Mother Tucker. I really liked the guitar. Oh, isn't it great? So good. Let's go back to that a little bit because I really, really like about that. <laughs> as I love when it goes like they're solo. Yeah. And they do that weird thing that they kind of go bing, and then it, and if you're listening in stereo, it goes into the other speaker, and then oh, the other okay. guitar plays, and then it cool. And then it kind of goes back to the yeah. side. Like they keep going back and forth. Oh, that's, that's fun. Yeah, it's really good. I was listening to my car, so I didn't really get that same effect. Oh, okay. Uh, I wish I'd listened to it with headphones because you get a good effect with oh, that. With I headphones. listened to my car and I and I heard. I oh, did you? It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It might just be different car speakers. Yeah. 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 Mine are better. Apparently. <laughs> but does yours hold six CDs? No, they do not. Mine does. Mine can barely play one CD. <laughs> yeah, mine won't attach to my phone anymore. You can't plug it in; it won't work. You mean? No, I mean it won't show me an option for plugging my like having my phone like the aux input aux option doesn't come up anymore. But you press forward; it'll still work. No, I was I had it working the other day when I was driving a car when I drove it when your brakes were gone. Uh, that was a while ago. Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago. But no, it hasn't been working in maybe two weeks. Oh, yeah, I'll have to check it out. That's weird. It is weird. I keep hoping it'll just come back, <laughs> but it hasn't yet. I wonder if it so. unplugged itself accidentally. Maybe. Possibly. Were you pulling on it too hard? Nope. I hope not. Mary. Mary. No. Were you pulling on it I too hard? I wasn't. Mary. Nope. The dramatic. Not, I'm, not oh, a, sorry. I'm not a guilty dog. You can't uh, <laughs> can't guilt me into. <laughs> if I wave my finger at you, Mary. <laughs> what if Mary, I, what if I hold you... up this empty bag of dog treats? <laughs> That's right. What if I pull this thing that has a, a cable hanging from it as if it was pulled out too tight, Mary? <laughs> Like averting eye contact. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I just don't like eye contact. I don't hear. <laughs> anyway, uh, we weren't talking about yeah. that song anymore. That's We're talking fine. about this new song. That's fine. It's okay to get excited. Sometimes I get so into the like history of stuff, I forget to mention how much I like the music that I'm talking yeah. about. Much more than the history. Like Most of the times, I'm only learning the history of these songs when I'm doing the show. Right. I know very little about these bands in yeah. other ways. You know, when you're I listening just... to them. Yeah, when you're listening to them, you're not like, oh, here's an interesting fact that yeah. I know. Yeah. Not all, I'm yeah. just... Uh, yeah. Uh, really, it's just about the music to me, but sometimes sometimes you forget that. But yeah, that song is super, it's really great arrangement, super fun guitars. And uh, and I feel like there's two guitar players in it, but it might be just one player going side to side. I'm not exactly certain. There were, I guess there was, there were two guitar players in the group, but I don't know if, if the one guy was, wasn't more just of a rhythmic guitarist. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, The Dramatics, Mary, you liked it? Thought it was good? It's a very good album. I love this album it came from, What You See Is What You Get, because that's also where I took the song Hot Pants in the Summertime. Oh, yes. That we listened to a while ago. That's a good song. It's a very good song. And then it has another great song on it called In the Rain, which I love as well, which it's not, we won't listen to, but it's really good. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a great album. We've talked about them when we did Hot Pants in the Summertime. Cool. So I'm not going to go into them again, but I just want to say great stuff. And I miss, I really do miss, I mean, we can go back and listen to it, but I miss the idea of like like the, the R&B or soul multi-singing group like like the dramatics yeah. and chilites and yeah. stuff like that like i really miss miss that i mean you know i can see like doo-wop who cares anymore but it's uh yeah i it, feel like you don't get groups as much you usually get like a like a like one guy singing. yeah 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 
you don't have like that shared vocals and things yeah. very often. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. But oh. I mean, I think that that's probably a change just because of the change in culture mm-hmm. where you have less, you don't have as many singers coming out of choral backgrounds. Well, that, you know, that's a possibility for sure. Yeah. 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 And, you know, at one time that was literally where all of them came from. Not just that, but literally there were people who sang on street corners in like oh, okay. doo-wop quartets and stuff right. like that, where they would just for fun yeah. to like blend their voices and, and, and figure it out and, and have fun with that. And, you know, that started as a phenomenon before it became a recorded phenomenon. It was, right. a, it was a street level thing that people did hmm. together, you know. Interesting. And then, and then that kind of grew into the doo-wop. And then there were like two different, two different f- phases of doo-wop. There right. was the late fi- mid fifties, late fifties doo wop, yep. and then it kind of faded from interest. And then in the the sixties, it, it started up again, hmm. particularly with Italian group singers like the, you know, the Belmonts and the Four Seasons would be two examples of of sort of like second wave doo wop groups, but also like Frankie and the Teenagers and, and right. stuff like that. Yeah, all really good. But anyway, Mary, yes, let's move on. Let okay, us, let us move on. Okay, to a group called Chunky, Novi, and Ernie, hmm. and their song Atlantic Liner. From 1973. Okay. So let's give it a listen, everybody. Here we go. Put on your listening ears.
What did you think of this song? Um, I didn't like it. You didn't like the song? No. Really? Yes. Oh my god, I like the song so much. Sorry. You know why? Why didn't you like the song? Because it sounded like it was from a musical. Oh. Huh. It wasn't, but okay. It sounded like it was. Huh. Too too theatrical for me. I see. Yeah. I guess she does have a bit of a theatrical voice, the singer. The the it was the instrumentation as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Yep. Yeah, it's unusual instrumentation. The group Chunky whose real name was Lauren Wood. Mm. Actually, her real name was Eileen Rappaport. Mm. But she changed that name to Lauren Wood. And okay. her nickname was Chunky. Why? But no. It's a bad nickname. I know, it's weird. She's really, she was actually quite thin. Yeah. Hmm. I thought, is she sort of a heavy set girl? No. Hmm. Hmm. Weird. But anyway. Maybe. Mm. She threw up a lot? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, never mind. I don't, think that. I don't know why that was her nickname. But anyway, that was her nickname. She So she formed she formed this group with her cousin, whose name was also named was Eileen. Eileen Novi Novog, but she went by the name Novi Novog, and she played violin and keyboards. Chunky was a p- piano player as well, but uh, Novi played played violin as well as keyboard and synthesizers. And then Ernie, whose name was Ernie Emerita, he was the bass player. Cool. So the way the group came about was they actually, before this, they were in a group that had one of my favorite names I've ever heard for a band, Mary. Okay. Ready for this name? You ready? Yes, ready? Yep, yep. Rebecca and the Sunnybrook Farmers. Mm-hmm. That was the name of this group. Isn't it a great name? It's a good name. Because, you know, Rebecca and Sunnybrook Farm? Yep. Or at Sunnybrook, whatever it's called. Yeah. I Yeah. I yeah. gotcha. This is a great name. Rebecca and the Sunnybrook Farmers. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so uh, they had that. They, they were in that group with a uh, guitarist named Mickey Kapner, who also was a singer. A background singer named Kiki, uh, whose actual name was Alexander Brooks, who has now uh, added a doctor to her name and is a uh, psychic. You can find her on Facebook. She's a psychic? Yeah. Do- a psychic doctor? Doctor, doctor Alexander Brooks. A, a psychic Brooks. doctor? Yep. I think she just put a doctor in front of her name. And then yeah. uh, the drummer's name was Clifford Mandel. And so they were in a group together, as, as I said. And so the the band recorded one album called Birth. They recorded it for Musicore, which was a country label. But I guess country labels kind of were thinking, well, this rock and roll thing is really catching on. Maybe we should have some rock acts. So, yeah. So they, they drove up from Pittsburgh to New York City and recorded the album in, in a weekend. It was actually a pretty good album. Then, um, then they re-recorded, re- re-recorded. Then they relocated to California, maybe thinking that'd be a better place for them to further their career. But they ended up breaking up there in 1971. Then they performed as a trio in LA, the Chunky Dovey and Ernie. And the group came to the attention of Frank Zappa, who became something of a mentor of the band, became a bit of a fan. So Lauren Wood contributed vocals to Zappa's uh, pushed-off-the-stage recovery album, The Grand Wazoo, in 1972. And then, and Zappa wanted Novog to join his touring group. He wanted her to play to play violin. I guess, I guess he had to settle for um, that big ham, John Luke Ponty. But uh, I think he he wanted someone. I guess who wasn't as big a ham as John Luke Ponty to play so, violin. And then, and it was through Zappa that they were able to get a two album deal with Reprise Records, which was Zappa's label at the time. And so I guess he he recommended them to Reprise. And so the band credited to him as their father figure, and he also. Um, contributed backing vocals to to one song on that on the album on their first hmm. album 
So the album itself is produced by Ted Templeman. Okay. Who is sort of well-known to, to my generation as the producer of Van Halen. Right. He was on all the Van, ha- Van Halen albums. And he went, who's Ted Templeman? Hmm. Ted Templeman, so you know, Mary, was mm-hmm. in a group called the Tiki's. Okay. Which became Harper's Bazaar. Okay. When they were asked to sing a song. The magazine? For, no. Bazaar as in B-I-Z-A-R-R-E. Oh. Get it? Get it? Get it. So Lenny Warrenker, who was a producer at... At Reprise, Warner Brothers Reprise Records. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He um, wanted to do a version of the Simon Garfunkel song, Feeling uh, Feeling Groovy. Right. Because he thought it was a really great song, but it was too short. But then he figured out a way to add like a little a little um, orchestrated part to the middle of it and then repeat the song again. So he thought, oh, that's perfect. So he needed a group to sing it, though. So he asked the Tiki's to do it. And they said, well, we don't. it's not really our bag to sing songs like that, Sunshine Pop kind of stuff. And he's like, well, how about if we call you Harper's Bazaar? We'll credit you as that, and then you know no one will know that it's the Tiki's who did it. And then that song became super popular, and so Harper's Bazaar made five more albums. And then Templeman, when the bank when Harper's Bazaar ended, he started doing A and R and producing demo un- demos for unknown artists at mm. at uh, Warner's. And so he discovered du- the Doobie Brothers. Oh, okay. Brought them to, to Warner's and produced their first albums. And when they had a huge big hit with Toulouse Street, then he he became a staff producer. And so I feel like he was brought on. But also the other producer for the album was John Cale. So it's kind of weird. So John Cale had also signed on with Warners as a producer. Yep. Because he was feeling a little... We've lo- heard of John Cale yeah, song, right? Yeah, we've heard a couple of them. And I think he was feeling kind of lost. Um, so he kind of agreed to become a producer for them. And so he was brought on as producer as well. And which he thought was weird. He thought it was weird there was two of them producing the record. But he was more there to do the string and horn arrangements for right. it. Right. So yeah. Um, they did one more album for... as. Chunky Ur- uh, Novi and Ernie, and then Lauren Woods did a couple of solo albums. Sorry, yeah, I don't think I've liked the other John Cale songs we've heard. No, so that's probably why I don't like this song because I I mostly didn't like the arrangement. Oh, okay, okay. So I think I just don't like John Cale. Maybe you don't. I don't know. That's I'm weird. pretty sure because I think he has this very sort of like large yeah. sound. Yeah. That yeah feels very like theatrical to mm-hmm. me, and I'm just not a fan of that sound. Yeah. I think that that's what it is. Okay. No, um, no shade on on Chunky <laughs> or the rest of the band. Yeah. What's interesting with Lauren Wood is she did an album in 1981 called Cat Trick, and she did a song in there called Fallen, and she want she thought it'd be like great as a single, and the record label said no, it's not a good single because there's no drums on it. So we're gonna okay, choose this weird. song, and so they chose the song that she liked least as the single. Okay. And then the was a flop. The single yep. was a flop. The album didn't do great, yep. and so she got dropped from the label. Ah. Fast forward ten years later. Yep. They're making the movie. Uh, Pretty Woman, Mm -hmm. find the song Fallen, put it on the soundtrack, huge hit for her. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) So she she was right in the end. It makes me very frustrated when, because we hear so much on this show about record labels being like, we love you, we love your sound, we love everything about you, but I want to change everything about you, we're going to get rid of that guy, because I don't like him very much, we're going to change your sound, yeah. you can't make that album, you can't do this, you can't do that, yeah, and then yeah. when they fail, they're like, you guys suck, get out of here, <laughs> and it's like, well, why don't you have some faith in uh-huh. the band that you brought in? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think, well, personally, my favorite, one of my, I mean, my favorite era for music is the 1960s, I think that's kind of obvious. Right. But one of the reasons for that is just because that was a time in music when no one knew what the hell they were doing. Right. So people were just like throwing money around. They're throwing money. They just threw stuff at the wall to see what would stick. Yeah. They didn't know. They didn't know what these crazy kids wanted. Yeah. And so it, it was had a, it was a double-edged sword, though. Yes, you could get 
make an album. The problem with it is it often wasn't promoted because the label didn't know what to do with it. Right. You know, so they would be like, yes, we're going to sign the president, so president, no, sorry, the United States of America, this crazy art rock band, and we're going to produce a record by them. What the hell did we get? We don't know how to market this. <laughs> you know, that's the end of that record, right? So, so a lot of stuff got made then, but a lot of it didn't get promoted because right. no one knew what to do with it. But yeah, so, um, but Mary. Yes. I'm going to play a song for you by Rebecca and the Sunnybrook Farmers, though. Oh, okay. Because it's a kind of a fun album. Yep. Uh, Mickey Kapner sings some songs. Lauren Wood sings some others. Mm-hmm. And then Kiki also sings a few songs. But mm-hmm. we're going to play one by Lauren Wood. This is called Two Blind Sisters. This is from their 1969 album Birth that they made in a weekend for musical records. Cool. When they were all in their teens. Here we go. Cool. As my brother spoke, I became the one wing bird with both legs broke and major. back and that was uh, Rebecca and the Sunnybrook Farmers so yeah it's a done a bad album for a bunch of kids having some fun anywho so Mare yes are you ready for the last song I am sort of what do you mean sort of well I think you know what I mean Uh-oh. anyway let's go to the next the last <laughs> song of this side this doesn't bode well for me everyone okay so let's uh, this is going to be uh, the mothers of invention this is from 1969 this is a song from Uncle Meat uh, their final album, as the Mothers of Invention, this is uh, the Uncle Meat Variations. Here we go, everyone. 
You sounded a little glum um, about this track, this mm, the final song on the side. Well, yeah. I don't know if glum's the right word. Okay. What's the word? Apprehensive. Apprehensive. <laughs> okay. What do you think of this song? I didn't like it. No, I didn't think it well. It's, a, it's an instrumental, mostly for one thing, so that's not yes. your bag. It was also uh, very rhythmically unpleasant. Oh, really? Yes. The, that, that Frank Zappa weird... Uh, Weird rhythm and thing doesn't really... Doesn't really yes. Like it. Yeah, it's probably like in some weird time, like 3-8 or something like that. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it it um, it was just... It, I didn't... It was not good. Whereas I just love it. I was in the car with Duncan. Oh, yeah? And he said, can we skip this? And I said, sure. <laughs> I was in the car with Eve. Yeah. She said, can we skip this? I said, sure. <laughs> wow. Well... So, Gee. Not to throw the garbage onto you while you're trying to climb up that ladder, but. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love this so much. It's so it's so weird to me that people wouldn't like it. I guess that just shows my my uh, tunnel vision when it comes to yeah, music. Yeah, so maybe a little out of touch. <laughs> People's feelings about music, whereas I, I just think it's just uh, fantastically fun. Um, I mean, I, I know Experience? it's... I, I guess I know it's challenging. Yeah. But... I like the challenge and I like, you know, it's so hard to explain. Like, even as a kid, I loved, like, I loved um, avant-garde music, you know? Okay. Like, I remember in grade 12, I took a Western Civ class and we watched, we were watching a show and they're playing like Stravinsky, Charles Ives, music like that. And I was like, where has this music been all my life? Like, this is like the greatest stuff I've ever heard in my life. And so I started like searching out that kind of music. Um, for whatever reason, I was watching a documentary on channel, the PBS station, the public broadcasting station from, from the United States uh, about the staging of, of Einstein on the beach, the Philip okay. Glass, Robert Wilson ballet. And once again, I just fell in love with the music so much. I just thought it was so brilliant. And I remember like, I meant to 
wake up in time, but of course I slept in, but I taped yeah. it off of the local college station because they were playing it one morning. So I taped the taped it off the, the station, and yeah, I just thought it was so good, like just so great. Like I, I mean, I guess I, I guess I realize I'm, it's weird or maybe not to everyone else's taste. I remember being stopped in the hallway by this guy who was a friend of my 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 friend of my brother's, and I guess they'd been getting stoned together. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. One afternoon, and and they put they put on that t- the tape of Philip Glass's Einstein on the Beach. Yeah. And he's just like, he goes, yeah, I just had to tell you how, how freaky that was. It was like totally scaring us. Yeah. Like. Well, why? It's great. It's so good. <laughs> was it like this? Because I can, I can yeah, it empathize. Like, no, it's more, it's more repetitive. But yeah, it's uh, well, this is pretty repetitive too. Yeah. So, Mary. Yes. The methods of invention were led by Frank Zappa. Yep, I know. And and they began as a they began as a soul group, like soul covers band called the Soul Giants, which formed in 1964. And their singer Ray Collins got in a fight with the guitarist in the group. Mm-hmm. And so the guitarist left. Right. And so uh, Collins, who had worked with Frank Zappa at his uh, recording some stuff in, at his studio, he, Frank Zappa had a studio called, well, first it was called um, Pell Studios, but then when he took it over, he changed the name to uh, Studio Studio Z, as I like to call it, but probably Studio Z. Right. Because he's American. Yes. But Studio Z doesn't sound as good as Studio Z to me for some studio reason. Studio Z does sound better. It does, doesn't it? Z is just a cooler sounding letter than Z. I think so. It doesn't yeah. rhyme as well. I guess that's a problem. No. People. So, um, now Zappa said, I'll join your group with the following conditions. Right. One, we'll play my music. Okay. If we start playing my music, I'm going to make you guys famous. Right. And they're like, oh, okay. And also, I want to change the name of the group. Right. And so they changed the name of the group from the Soul Giants to the Mothers. Mm-hmm. Because Zappa had been playing in a power trio or a rock trio with some other guys. And the group was also called the Mothers, but they spelled it with a U. Okay. The new group is O, like a right. proper mother yep. sound, spelling. So in 1965, they were assigned to Verve Records, mm-hmm. which was a Verve. jazz was a jazz record label, and they wanted to diversify and kind of get into this whole rock market thing. Right. And it's a good example of a record label having no idea. Yes, definitely. What, where to th- throw their money around? They signed. The Mothers of Invention. Yeah. Well, they send the Mothers. Yes. Whom they insisted change the name to the Mothers of Invention. Because right. Mothers could also mean Mother Effers, which, yep. you know, which was a compliment in the musical circles because it meant you're a good player. Mm. But they didn't want people, you know. Yeah. And then they also signed the Velvet Underground. Okay. So two groups that were highly... Uh, niche? Niche, but also super... Um, I would say both of those groups were really... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stubborn. Difficult to work with. No, no, no. Really, uh, many other people want to play, like, form bands and play music and stuff like that. We're really influential. Oh, influential. Okay, yeah, really yeah. influential groups. I thought you were saying that this was uh, about Verve being sort of out of their depths. No. I mean, yes. Because both these groups were in no way were commercial groups. No. They're like, we want to get into this rock and roll the kids like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's sign, Let's sign these two, two diffi- weirdo groups. <laughs> two difficult art rock groups. Uh, I mean, to be fair... The vel the the Zappa's first like orig- original stuff was more normal sounding like right. what what Tom Wilson heard who signed them uh, was more kind of normal stuff. It wasn't until he got them in the studio that Frank Zappa was like, oh, and I also love music music concrete, and so I want to do a lot of that stuff as well. Mm. And he's like, uh huh. So, uh, but that's I'm actually downplaying Tom Wilson's hipness because he actually was like probably the hippest music producer in the 1960s. He produced Bob Dylan at the beginning of his career. Okay. He produced uh, Simon and Garfunkel at the beginning of their careers. He was the one who, when Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., Flopperood, took Sound of the F- Silence and added, added a rock group 
behind it and turned it into a big hit single hmm. that made Simon Garfunkel's career. Right. But he left Columbia Records, where he was a, produ- was a staff producer, to, to move to Verve, where he became an A&R producer guy, so he could sign and produce al- groups there. So he, yep. he signed the Velvet Underground, and he signed the Mothers of Invention. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so by this point, of course, by the time that they were doing Uncle Meat, uh, which was, uh, Frank Zappa was producing himself. Tom Wilson was no longer in the picture, but but uh, I would say he had a major part to play in, in the group's success and in, in Zappa's career, even though Zappa didn't appreciate him very much. So Uncle Meat was was both a standalone album, actually a double album, the second in Zappa's career, okay, but also a soundtrack for a purported science fiction film that Zappa was filming with the other members of the group. And uh, the film was never finished because they didn't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Zappa... and it was Dune. That's <laughs> right, it was Dune. <laughs> it was Yodorowsky's Dune. <laughs> uh, but Zappa later released like a home video kind of version of it that was sort of like a okay. cobbling together of footage that had been done at the time. Right. With some more modern things. And it's more of like an art piece slash documentary of, right. of the film. Like Yodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, yeah. Because Zapp- Zappa was kind of like a multi faceted guy he was been long interested in filmmaking he had mm-hmm. written a script to reform with his friend whose name whose name was don van vliet and the the script was called uh captain beefheart versus the grunt people and that that don van van vliet would go on to become captain beefheart yeah so i wonder if that's where he got the name from or is that was his boring name that that uh, van vliet already used i'm not too sure so i put when i said standalone uncle me was standalone i would maybe put that in quotation marks because it actually was part of a a project that Zappa was working on called No Commercial Potential, which was actually a review or a, a statement from a record company that because uh, Zappa and Captain Beefheart were in a group together called The Suits, spelled S-O-O-T-S, and they sent a bunch of their music to this record label called Dot Records, and they sent it. They returned it saying with a, with this said No Commercial Potential. That's what it said on on the the, the return envelope. So Zappa took that review and uh he started he he put together this project that consisted of four albums so we're only in it for the money lumpy gravy Cru- cruising with reuben and the jets and uncle meat <laughs> and uh zappa maintained that you could cut up all four of those albums and put them together into any variation and it, they would still be integrally the same uh so because he felt that they were all thematically and sound like in terms of sound linked together now the recording sessions for Uncle Meat were done in New York City because Zappa and the group had gone there. They were they had gone to New York to do a uh, residency at the Garrick Theater, which was supposed to be for a couple of weeks and then turned into six months because it was such a big sellout. And so they just so while they were there, they started working on Uncle Meat at this uh, studio. It was a brand new studio that this guy had built there called Apostolic Studios, and the guy kind of built Apostolic as sort of his dream studio. He had been a producer at Columbia, and he said it was just awful working there because. The way it was was there'd be like you, the producer, yep, and another producer maybe, mm-hmm. and then three engineers, right. And because it was so unionized, no one could touch anything else that the other guy was supposed to do, right. So you'd be like, you know, you'd be like the band would the band would be in this room that was like overlit, though just like sheer whiteness. They could see everything like all the grime on the walls and everything like that, yeah. just hanging in this like white room, right. And then the guys were behind glass, yeah, staring at you, and then you'd say to the engineer roll tape. And so the engineer would go like tape rolling, and then the other guy would another engineer would push another button. Yeah. And he'd be like, he'd start something else, and then the third guy would create the another part of it. And so it'd be three people <laughs> turning on tapes and be waiting for all this to happen. And so it was like they're shooting a, a torpedo on a submarine. Yeah. So he's just like, this sucks. So he he left <laughs> there, and he started this studio called Apostolic Studios, and he put in a twelve track 
recorder. He had a custom built, which at that time was the biggest he could build. They did do 16 right. track later, but at that time, 12 was the biggest he could have. And he had it custom built by this guy who was like a really well-known, uh, you know, uh, studio engineer. And that was really good for Zappa because it made for a really clean deck. And so he had 12, 12 tracks, but he could also do like lots of bounce downs with minimum oh, okay. hiss. Which is a problem because when you bounce tracks down, like say you have 12 tracks you're recording on, Mary. Yep. You fill up the 12 tracks with your instruments, mm-hmm. but you want to put more on there. Right. What you have to do then is record those 12 tracks onto another 12 track recorder. Right. Or to another, you know, onto another 12. And so then you have it on one of the tracks. Right. So then you still have 11 tracks that you can add. Yes. 11 more instruments to. Right. So there's one, there's one track on Uncle Meat called Dog Breath. Mm-hmm. And, and the year of the plague, where at the very end of the song, it has a section that's 40 tracks. So that means he had to bounce down at least three times yeah. to get the 40 tracks of, of stuff there. But because the deck was so quiet, you could do it. Because you because the problem is when you're re- recording with a tape recorder, you're not just recording right. the sound of the music. You're also you're rec- recording the sound of the tape recorder. That's right. And right. so by having three of them doing that, you can end up with hiss that starts to be louder. I didn't, didn't know this happened until a friend of mine, when we were kids, we would do... Um, we would do like pretend the skits and stuff on tapes. And yep. so one time I decided it'd be great if we had like us. Yeah. And then we took other tape recorders and we used those to have sound effects in the background. Oh yeah. And so we made like restaurant sound effects. Right. Of like a murmur of voices and tinkling yeah. of, of silverware and stuff like that. And then we played that in the background, but because of the hiss of it playing. Yeah. And then we had another one doing it, doing mm-hmm. other sound effects. It created this like horrible sound that right. didn't really work with the way we wanted it to. Huh. But Zappa didn't have that problem. So yeah, he was working at Apostolic and, um, so, yeah, the studio was re- re- located on the top floor of a loft building that had a hand-operated uh, elevator. And so it had to be have a guy working the operator. And I guess this person dressed like a Viking who worked in the elevator. And he would, like, take people up and down uh, to the studio. And uh, the owner says there was another company that made, like, baseball caps on the eighth floor. And they were remarkably uh, lenient with all the all the goings on. <laughs> and the fact that they painted the whole elevator shaft with, with, blue, with uh, black light psychedelic paint. And stuff like that. And then, um, and then, um, yeah. So, so the other thing that this, because of all the, with, because of all the, the overdubbing he could do, it, it kind of allowed him to, to narrow down the band to the absolute people that were most reliable to work with a lot. Right. So basically he started relying a lot on this guy named Ian Underwood who played keyboards and saxophone. And so it was easy for him to get him to do everything you needed. And he wouldn't have to worry about getting the other guys to come down to the studio and mm-hmm. deal with all the, the stuff. So the idea of Uncle Meat, I think you probably noticed this, Mary, is that Zappa wanted to make an al- album that would challenge you, the listener. Yes, it sure did. Because <laughs> he felt like the fans of his music at that time period were sort of just accepting what he was doing without really challenging themselves. Right. You know, like they weren't they weren't listening to the stuff that he was listening to. You know, they were they're going, oh, Zappa's so cool. Like, he really likes Verez. Yeah. You know, and he's like, well, you should also be listening to Verez. You shouldn't just be listening to me. Yeah. And, you know, you should also be listening to Schoenberg. You shouldn't just be listening to me. Hmm. So he wanted that, you know, so he wanted to incorporate those elements into the album. So it mixes orchestral pieces, jazz, rock, blues, as well as music concrete, spoken word elements. And, but also not just having those on there, but also transforming those musical forms through electronic manipulation. So you can hear in this one where you have the horns, you know, they're just saxophones, but they've been manipulated. So they sound like oboes or clarinets. Uh, there's the, everything's sped up slightly, so you have different things playing at different speeds. The harpsichords are slightly sped up, the horns are very sped up, the voices are extremely sped up. Uh, he had a um, he had an opera singer named Nelsie Walker, 
Nelsie? Nelsie, yeah, hmm. singing the N-E-L-C-Y, singing the, uh, in that song. But you really can't hear her other than as a Mickey Mouse voice, along with uh, resident Pachuco Ray Estrada doing his fuzzy dates and bongos, uh, you know, kind of little bitty bits and stuff in the song hmm. as well. So, yeah, he had the studio's filters, equalizers, compressors to use, and then also they, the band itself. Uh, it's kind of fun. If you look at the cover of, of uh, Burt Weenie Sandwich, there's kind of an above like above stage shot down on the band playing. Okay. And so you can kind of see the setup of them. So you can see like, uh, you know, the two drummers set up and then you can see where Bunk Gardner played and he's, his saxophone is mic'd and it's going through all this electronic gear that's beside him. So he had like a, a ring, a ring modulator and a maestro effects box that could change how, so the ring modulator, you can hear it in um, King Kong on, on Uncle Meat. Oh, okay. There's the part where he's playing the solo and he's being doubled by what sounds like a bassoon. Right. But it's really just his saxophone going through this effects box and coming back again and through the ring, mod- ring modulator, right. which is creating a different circuit, which is creating this kind of like bassoon-like sound hmm. that's just shadowing what he's already playing. Right. right. So it gives it an interesting effect. Or the maestro effects, which he could... There's even one on there called... Uh, there's a button they could press called Oboe Demore. Hmm. And that would just create like an oboe sound. So you can oboe hear that... Oboe Demore. Oboe Demore. So you can hear that oboe of love. Huh. Which is actually an actual oboe. It's right. an actual instrument. And um, so you could hear uh, you can hear it in this song. You can hear that oboe effect in, in this song as well. But anyway, I love it. Other people don't like it, I guess. <laughs> so there you go, Mary. That is side one of Nathan Evans' tape, of which he liked two songs. And apparently, I'm learning why. <laughs> well, no, no, no. But um, you don't remember which songs he liked. I do remember one, but it's on the next one. So oh, okay, one. okay. Give it away. I'll, I'll mention it when we get to it. Okay, good. But I don't remember from this side. I think there was one song on this side and one song, and one song on the other side, and I can't mm. remember what they were. It wasn't this song, though. I'll tell you that. That's fair. And uh, apparently, that's not unusual. No. I think it's a great song, but okay. what do I know? Well... I think it's a great album. Yeah, that's fair. You just have different musical tastes than other people. I have a real love-hate relationship with Frank Zappa, though. Yeah. Because I really love this period of Frank Zappa, mm-hmm. but I don't really like the 70s stuff that much. Like, it doesn't mm. really appeal to me at all. Okay. It's much more professional sounding and right. way more... I mean, it's... You know, obviously, like, more skilled musicians, like, they can really, like, really, you know... Play. Play, but yeah. who cares? Yeah. You know, like, heart should be a big part of music, and if you... Yeah. You know, and I think Zappa... I think he sacrificed heart for for uh, musicianship. Right. You know, which... For professionalism. Yeah. And I mean, and he did even further, because later on, then he just stopped using human musicians entirely and just started using a synclavier, which was, like, a kind of early uh, synthesizer, a very oh, expensive okay. synthesizer. Yeah. That you had to program like note note by note in it, and it took forever to do. Right. And it would have been much faster just to hire musicians, but yeah. it was also expensive to hire musicians. He does seem like a person who had a very singular vision mm-hmm. and did not much like working with others. Mm, I don't think he minded working with others, but he had a high he had a high standards. Right. And low. If, he had low tolerance for yeah. uh, other people's opinions. Well, I think the problem for the mothers was that they thought of themselves as a band with Zappa. Right. Whereas Zappa thought of himself as, he Zappa. thought of them as their band. Right. Or sorry, his band. Yes. Who, that played his music. Right. And to them, it was their band that they played their music together, yeah. right? And so Zappa didn't see it that way. Hmm. So later on, he could hire musicians that played his music for him. You yes. Know? And it was never, there was no question over whose music it was that you right. were playing or who was contributing. What? Know. Yeah. And to be fair to Zappa, I mean, the band wasn't a huge success. Mothers weren't a huge success. They were difficult music, as you yep. as you mentioned. But they're very well known. They're very well known, but they weren't a commercial success. Yes. So he was basically 
supported them himself through his own through his own royalties, you know, paying for paying for their salaries and stuff like that during during downtimes and things. And so he, right. it just a bit got to the point where he just couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah. And it, and he said some of them weren't like they weren't playing with they weren't giving it their all, right? You know, and he didn't let he was he started to kind of resent that as well. Mm. And yeah, he ended the group, which is sad to me because I I love them so much. Yeah. My my personal favorite Frank Zappa album is Burnt Weenie Sandwich, which is a collection of um, Mother's stuff that wasn't wasn't intended for any album, but oh, okay. just kind of ended up on some ended up on Burnt Weenie Sandwich, right? Some ended up on Weasel's Rip Rip, Rip My Flesh, right? Um, but I think Burnt Weenie Sandwich is the more successful of those two records, hmm. and it hangs together better. Probably because it's bookended by two doo-wop songs. So there's one at the beginning, one at the end. Oh, okay. So it gives it, no matter how far out it gets in the between that. Right, it, you always get grounded. It feels like it's grounded yeah. on both ends of it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. But there you go. Hmm. So, cool. ooh, I guess I won't ask your overall feelings yet because we haven't got to the end of the yeah. CD. We'll get there. We'll get there. In two weeks. In two weeks. When we come back. When we come back, yeah. But until then, if you'd like to contact us. Oh, yes. Um, we have a Facebook page, Sneaky Dragon. We, we have do. a Twitter account, sneaky underscore dragon. We also we do. have an email address, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That's true as well. And we also have a website you can go to, which is sneakydragon.com. You can find all of our contact us information there. You can also find episodes of the podcast and you can find our forums where you can comment and chat with other people about the episodes. Yeah. You can also find dad's other podcasts there, Sneaky Dragon. Yes. Being the main one. That is true. Well, this is, this is you know what, Mary? Yep. This was like uh, a breath of fresh air, all the honesty I was getting there. I should say honesty. It was more accuracy. Yeah. Well, no, not accuracy. Accuracy to my perspective. <laughs> honesty from my perspective. Oh, I just right? meant the last little bit there. The rest of it, I just felt like you were all wrong. Oh. That's totally mixed up. I don't know what you're thinking about. I think you'll, I think you're going to look back on the show, Mary. Mm-hmm. With a lot of regret. I doubt that, but I okay. Think you're gonna look back anyway, the show and you're um, gonna, we'll be back in two you're weeks. Think, you know what? Dad was right. Dad was really some more music. He knew he knew what he was on. Hopefully, about. some better music. I think that he really had Burn. some ideas. Got him. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye.